four guys in a comic. Here to kick off today's show, the Beyonders themselves, Red, Rusty, Tap, and Nova. Now get ready to get downright postal with special guest Brian Hill. All right, everybody, as you all know, I'm the huge image lover in this group, and I'm just so excited and so pleased to announce our very special guest, Brian Hill. Brian, how you doing today? Good morning. I'm fine. How are you guys? Doing fantastic. Excellent. So, I've got my baritone here. I've got my Sean Connery baritone for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sweet. So those out there that are not uh, familiar with some of your work, if you mind giving us a little bit of information about yourself. Sure. Well, uh, my name is Brian Hill. I have been writing a book called Postal for Image for about a year. I think we're on issue 13. It comes out uh, next month. Um, that is a book about a small town that's full of criminals that are all off the grid. And uh, it's supposed to be no crime in the town, right? It's supposed to be a town where criminals would go and reform themselves and change their ways. But in the first issue, a dead body shows up in the center of the street, and they've got to figure out who did it. And it follows uh, really a mother and son dynamic. Uh, the mother is the mayor of the town, and the son is the postman of the town, hence the name Postal, who also has Asperger's syndrome. So it's a detective thriller, true detective meets Twin Peaks um, sort of book. I've been writing that. You know, prior to that, I've been a screenwriter for a pretty long time. Um, Sold a few screenplays. I wrote a terrible Dolph Lundgren movie that uh, I wouldn't suggest you watch. Um, but it's <laughs> it's called The Russian Specialist, and it's awful. Um, yeah, and so I've got a couple more books coming out. I've got a book coming out in October that I created with Nelson Blake II. It's called Romulus. I'm really excited about that. Mm. Um, I know. I've, I've, I've actually already added that to my pool list. I've already told my uh, shop. Oh, right on. Yeah, it's. It, I think it's kind of a special thing. Uh, we are really invested into it and nelson in particular is doing just phenomenal uh work um so uh definitely pay attention to that one that book is sort of like what if frank miller wrote buffy the illuminati slayer is the best way i can explain <laughs> that. yeah now i was actually going to ask you that i'm curious when uh what time period is that set in Oh, it's modern day, right? It's so, modern day. Okay. Right. The concept uh, of Romulus is there's this secret society called the Order of Romulus that's existed since the, the height of ancient Rome. And up until now, they have been affecting the flow of human civilization. They've been affecting human history. They have a League of Assassins that works with them. Uh, all the assassins are women because the Order of Romulus is a matriarchal society. And the story follows one of the assassins, her name is Ashlar, she was raised to kill for them, basically to you know, serve their ambitions and keep their secret. But she suffers a personal tragedy in the first issue that uh, uh, changes her. And she decides that she has to stop the Order of Romulus. And so the series follows her trying to stop this, this society that's got its hands woven basically into everything. And she's building a resistance from the ground up. Um, so... We're really excited about it. It's, uh, you know, it, it deals with a lot of things that Nelson and I talk about a lot. Uh, it's a hidden history, esoteric history, uh, personal ethics. It's pretty intense. The art is gorgeous. So you're going to see a lot more uh, content from, from Romulus as the months go on. The book doesn't come out until October. But if you mm-hmm. follow me on Twitter, you know, at Brian Edward Hill, uh, I will have links to stuff and you'll see more stuff. Um, and the reception has been... Really, really great so far. Since we announced at the Expo, a lot of people have been interested. So um, we are very excited to get that book in people's hands. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it too. And plus, you know, I like one, you know, Matt Hawkins, you know, how he also includes a lot of like little history facts and stuff like that and, and how you incorporate that as well. And right. putting that – just the, the, the books that do that – it's just amazing. It's so much fun to read when you get that information. And when I think I was Image Plus, where I first seen the preview of it, if I remember correctly, I think that's where I saw it. It was mm. either that or one of the Image uh, emails that I get weekly, where I, like, I first saw that. And I was like, that cover is like, oh my gosh, that looks awesome. Oh, oh, look who's on. Look who's writing this. Okay, I, I, I'm telling you, that day I was like, okay, I need to add this and this and this <laughs> to my pull list. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're re- really proud of the work that we're doing on it. Um, so uh, I think that uh, hopefully if you think the concept is cool, if you like what you've seen so far, you won't be disappointed because I think the book really delivers on on everything. We're bleeding our, our, our stuff in there. So uh, we're really excited to get out to people. Yeah, I actually uh, met and was speaking with uh, Matt Hawkins over the weekend at a Comic-Con um, in Kansas City. Right, and- right. Uh, so I was talking to him about Postal and, and whatnot, and I had mentioned that we we're going to be meeting with you, and I said that I knew that you were really excited about Romulus. And so I was kind of talking to him, and I said, you know, what can you tell me about it? And he goes, honestly, he goes, I have, he's like, I trust everything Brian's doing. He goes, I haven't even looked at it yet. He goes, I'm kind of just waiting for the final thing, and then I'll look at all of it. And I'm like, oh, you really trust him. So he's, he's he says he's definitely got a lot of faith in you in, in this book. Well, Matt's been uh, incredibly supportive of of me and comics, really. I mean, so my first comic book was about 10 years ago. Uh, I wrote a short story in, gosh, a broken Trinity Witchblade trade paperback or something um, that was about some <laughs> ancillary character, Gloriana Silver, she turns into a dragon, that's her deal. So I wrote about, about three or four pages of that, and that's when Ron Mars was still writing Witchblade. So uh, Ron, he became a good friend of mine and started you know, teaching me about comic book format and, and all of that. I'd always grown up reading comics. You know, I read comics as a kid. And I went to NYU film school. I lived in New York for a while. Uh, I lived with a bunch of comic book artists uh, in like this strange Queens sort of art compound thing. It's where I met Nelson Blake because he was like part of it. We were all working for a guy named Walter McDaniel. And uh, Walt was a comic book guy from the 90s in his own studio, and so we all kind of met each other there. So I was really into comics, but Matt gave me my first break with that short story. And then following that, there was uh, an event that Matt was doing called Pilot Season, where he would take original concepts people would pitch, give them one issue, and then they would all come out and compete for votes among readers. And so I had a book in that called Seven Days from Hell. And uh, Seven Days from Hell was like Ian Fleming meets Rod Serling, basically. Uh, it was like a kind of a supernatural James Bond thing. So I, I wrote that, and that was a pretty cool experience. Um, then I kind of went to screenwriting for a bit. About, I don't know, maybe about three, four years of just screenwriting. That was going well. And then finally I reached back out to Matt and asked him, is there any way I can write a comic book? I really want to write a comic book. I've always wanted to like, get comics out there and you know, get really get them out there. So he talked to me a bit about Postal, and uh, I said, that's a cool thing. I think I know what I can do with that. And since then, I've been you know, really just focusing on, on comics uh, while still doing screenwriting on the side and all of that. But I've been having a great time in comics, and Matt has been instrumental in getting me out there to fans and familiar readers. 
Now, one of one of the great things I wanted to ask you about with Postal is writing a character with Asperger's is not something everyone could do. Mm. Um, so, you know, what what is it like for you? How do you write it so naturally and so uh, so well? Well, you know, one of the great things about being a writer is you get a license to talk to anybody about anything. Right? And you tell someone that you're a writer, especially if you have some credits and that sort of thing. So the first thing I did was talk to people that were diagnosed uh, with Asperger's. I just found them, you know, on YouTube, basically. If you just type in what's it like to have Asperger's, a bunch of YouTubes are going to come up. So I looked at people's contact information. Uh, I sent them emails and said, hey, you know, you mind if I talk to you for a little bit? I'm working on a, a comic book and the lead has Asperger's, but I don't want it to be cartoony. So I'd like to ask you some questions about what it's, what's it like for you experientially? Because what's important for writing isn't necessarily just the, the actual details of the thing. You're looking for experiential things that you can translate into a story, right? It's more important that you talk to a cop to understand the experience of being a cop rather than just technically understand what a cop does, what a cop wears, what a cop makes every year, like that sort of thing. That doesn't give you what you need to generate character moments. You, know, you kind of have to live through uh, their, their day, so to speak. So I just talked to a few people, and they gave me a lot of interesting stuff uh, that I hadn't considered before. So I, I kept a little journal. And then when I started thinking about Mark, I, I'd, I'd look at my journal, and I would sort of just figure him out. You know, I mean, that's the organic part of my process with character. Is it's, I guess it's a little actor-y, I suppose, but... I just sort of compile a bunch of information and then try to figure out how does that create the character. And then when the character starts to talk in my head without me having to make the character talk, then I know I had it. And then I can just write it. You know, so I try to write stories about characters who have dimension, who have depth, who are forced to make choices so that the plot stems from the choices the characters have to make. So if you have these well-rounded, well-developed characters, then those choices become clear and it propels you through story. And so that's usually my process, but especially for Postal, because I wanted to make sure that people who were diagnosed with Asperger's didn't think it was exploitive in some way. Well, I will say that I truly appreciate the work that you've done and the research that you did in that, because I used to work uh, with a couple gentlemen that had Asperger's. And uh, so for me, when I was reading it, it was so well written and so well done that it definitely did not feel like, like you said, cartoony or that you were making fun of anything. It it truly gave these people a voice, which was amazing for me, for me you know, coming from that background. Uh, you did such a fantastic job on it. And Postal overall is a fantastic series. Uh, it's probably one of my favorites. It's definitely my top five right now that I'm reading. Uh, well, thank you. It's it's really difficult to write, so I, I appreciate I can, that. I can I can imagine. I can imagine. It's it can go a little dark and stuff. I'm sure you probably got to go to some places you don't always want to go in order to write it. So yeah, I have to go to some True Detective, uh, Matthew McConaughey places when I write that book. <laughs> you know, I, a lot of a lot of bottles of beer, a lot of sitting looking at the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, driving. Yeah, I'm just wondering right? when. Uh, Right. When AMC is going to pick this up for somebody, <laughs> right? Like I, you know, Matt handles all of the all the Hollywood list. It's funny, even though I'm a screenwriter and all that, yeah. I don't. I told him I want nothing to do with the Hollywood adaptation process. I don't want to know who's interested. I don't want to know anything. 
because that can just get inside your brain. I, I think I think the problem with a lot of new comics, uh, a lot of them are clearly just this is a, a movie, this is a TV show, and we're trying to sell it to Hollywood, and that's not great for comic book readers. So it's really important mm-hmm. for me that when you look at a Brian Hill book, you're like, well, this guy loves comics. So this is going to be a cool comic book. Now, maybe someone will buy it and turn it into something. You know, you never know. But I really focus 100% on the experience of reading a book and keep all that uh, other stuff out of my brain. So Matt has the ability to manage all of that very effectively. So uh, to ask him Hollywood questions, I deliberately know nothing. So say if it were to be picked up in the future for something, uh, would you be interested in ever writing for it? I know you said you don't want to be in, but like if it was official, it's greenlit, it's a go, it's a hundred percent. Like, would you be interested in ever writing it? You know, I, I think that would have to depend on, uh, who would be doing it, like who would be producing the show. Uh, there's a, a position called showrunner. Yeah, that's the writer, the lead writer, you know, who's in charge of everything. Um, it would depend on who the, the showrunner was. I, I'm always open to doing something cool if I think that I have something to offer, but I'm also not married to the idea of having to do it. And, you know, the thing with adaptation is you have to give people the space to adapt work because formats are different. Books are different than films. Films are different than television. I'm patient with that, I guess, because I understand all the forms. I mean, I write in all of those forms. So, yeah, if, if someone wanted me on board and thought I could do a decent job, you know, then I'd, I'd be more than happy to do it. But I can obviously understand why maybe you'd want more of a clean separation from the people actually doing the comic book, right? Because you want to make your own choices on the television show. So, you know, I, I can see how it wouldn't work out. But, yeah, I think that's kind of situation dependent, I suppose. I just don't know if I could see anybody else writing Mark, though, other than yourself. Because, I mean, you've done such an amazing job with the character. I, I don't know if I could ever see maybe there's people out there I don't know but it would be tough it'd be some big shoes to fill oh that's that's uh, very kind of you thank you um, there are a lot of there are a lot of people in Hollywood with big feet <laughs> <laughs> but if anything you know put Matt Hawkins as the person acting at the part Ooh. there you go there yeah, you go Matt actually yeah. gave me a little bit of backstory on Mark like the like who Mark was and stuff and who the character was based on this weekend I thought that was pretty kind of you know, kind of cool about his old college roommate and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Matt, Matt's always drawing uh, things from his real life, you know, for his concepts, for the kind of stories he wants to tell. Uh, so usually in something that Matt's written, uh, you know, or had a hand in creating, there's, there's something connected to something real for him there. You know, uh, I've personally never bumped into the secret society that is the order of Romulus. However, um, <laughs> I, uh, I did know some, strange banking people when I was in New York and when I went to NYU. Uh, and I have seen some whispers of occultism behind the scenes and like the corridors of power. Um, so I can't tell you, I had a roommate that was in a secret society that was killing people to keep it secret. Um, <laughs> but I can't tell you I didn't because secret societies are secret. So right that's there. true. <laughs> So, now, Brian, I got to ask you, mm. um, for those that know me, I'm a huge cover art fan. I love cover art. Mm. And Postal came out with some of the best cover art that I have seen in a long time, particularly the Norman Rockwell oh, yeah. ones. Who came up with that idea? I have to know. Well, it was kind of born out of a conversation that we were having. Uh, I was describing Postal to, I think, a, a, a journalist. 
And it said the stories were like Norman Rockwell paintings with blood in the paint. Mm-hmm. And I think Matt had seen that quote somewhere and asked Isaac, hey, have you thought about doing like a twisted Norman Rockwell thing? And yeah. Isaac responded to it because you know we have all this visual reference, right? So we're looking at a lot of uh, Rockwell, uh, Edward Hopper, mm-hmm. um, you know, those, those sort of artists. When we're thinking about our compositions, we're thinking about the way that we're shooting the landscape, you know, the way that we're creating that loneliness, that space. And so I think that's what happened. Uh, they had a conversation about it, and Isaac really took to that. Isaac, ha- Isaac has this really uh, impressive ability to change his style when necessary. Mm-hmm. We've got some pages coming up in issue 14, I think it is, mm-hmm. that's coming where he does something totally different than he used to do before for the purposes of a couple pages uh, of a flashback sequence. So Mm -hmm. Isaac's very versatile. He took to the idea and then did really well with it. And I love those covers. I think they're really twisted and great. (laughs) They are. And it's like when I first saw that on the shelf, I was like, oh, my God. I I just I I was just couldn't stop looking at it for like five minutes. It was like that was Isaac did such a great job. And I think uh, Betsy was also involved in that, too. If I remember correctly, yeah, yeah, Betsy Goyne was doing the colors yeah. covers mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, no, it was very well. I really hope we're going to see some more of those in the future. Yeah, yeah, I think we will. You know, we've got some, we have some pretty bold covers coming up, right? The, the next arc of Postal involves the Aryan Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, yeah, we've got some pretty stark covers uh, coming along the way for this next arc. That's a really important thing to me, having covers that are interesting because you walk into a comic book store. And you see all of this really stupendous artwork, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you cut through that to get to the reader? How do you let people know your book is cool, it's worth picking up? I'm always thinking about what can we do that makes us come off of a shelf a little better, right? Yes. So, because unfortunately, there are some of those people out there that judge a book by its cover. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. How I do, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm one of those people, right? I'm not proud of it, but certainly. If I don't think the cover looks cool, I'm probably not going to pick it up and flip yeah. through it. Yeah. And I'm actually going to put this up on, on our Twitter feed, too, so people can kind of see what we're referring to. But my personal favorite from those Norman Rockwell covers is uh, issue 11, uh, where uh, Mark is looking in the mirror and he's, like, painting. and But, like, oh, right. it almost looks like yeah. the devil. And, he, yeah. I mean, it's it's such an awesome piece of art. And I, I will post a picture up on our Twitter feed so you know, our readers or listeners and stuff can see what we're referring to. But yeah, it, that's probably my personal favorite. I like number nine personally, you know, the one at the uh, soda shop. <laughs> Taking oh, the cops. That, yeah, that one's a little more gruesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know, Mark, I, I wanted Mark to not be a character that was inoculated from the darkness that was around him. Right. He's not, He's not like the mentalist or monk or some character like that who's idiosyncratic but basically untouchable by everything that he journeys through. I wanted Mark to get affected. I wanted readers to not know if Mark is going to always head in the right direction. You know, will he get negatively affected by these experiences? And there's something, there's something difficult that lives within Mark, the same thing that lives within his father, uh, the thing that his mother saw in him you know, when he was a child – and it's been working her entire life to keep from really taking hold. So for me, Mark is a character that is on a constant precipice, and we don't really know what side he's going to fall on. And because he's a creature of reason, you know, because he looks at efficiency and tries to 
to, to cut through to the basic nature of things, sometimes that can result in actions that people would think are cruel, right? Because sometimes applying just reason to everything it doesn't leave very much room for empathy. And so uh, those, those covers really speak to a lot of the, the things going on inside of Mark. You know, the, the, he looks one way on the outside, but it has a swirling batch of things happening on the inside. And it's not settled yet, and we don't really know where it's going to settle. And for me, that keeps the book interesting to, to create and keeps the story fresh as I continue to tell it because I don't have a protagonist who just won't change, right? Uh, that, that's always the thing that will drive you up a wall is how can this hero not change after this many, many stories? But with, uh, with Postal, luckily I'm able to demonstrate some of that change. Speaking of number of stories, uh, how far out do you have Postal planned? Well, I mean, the way Matt works, he pretty much just turns everything into an ongoing <laughs> until either you run out of creative steam people just don't want to read it anymore. So mm-hmm. uh, I think we did have a plan of 24 when we started, but I don't think we're married to that. I think we're going to uh, keep doing it as long as we feel like there's more to tell um, because you know we, we discover things as we go along. You know, new characters come in, they affect the world, new story ideas come. Mm-hmm. So you never really know, but uh, Matt is always open to keeping something going as long as it makes sense for everyone to keep it going, basically. No, um, yeah. off of that, I have to ask real quick, with Romulus, do you mm. have how many issues of, of that do you guys have planned out? Well, I definitely look at that like, as on, like an ongoing, right? Okay. Because uh, it's, I mean, Romulus is really a whole new universe that we're coming into with Ashlar, the main character, at first, right? But the universe of Romulus in my head, which is a very difficult place to be, is, <laughs> is a bit like the Marvel Universe. You know, we've got uh, a lot of things going on in there. We're just picking this one character and focusing the story on her because she's our best entry point into what Romulus is really about. So uh, Nelson and I have a bunch of plans uh, for that book. So we really look at it like an ongoing. We haven't thought about putting a cap on it, and I have uh, at least 24 issues planned. So we're really stocked with content to explore the future. That's fantastic news. A lot of people will be happy to hear that. Yes. I know I am. am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, guys, like when when you're doing a comic, right, especially when you're doing an image comic, you don't really have parameters and restrictions the same way you would, you know, maybe if you're working on something that was more tied to big corporate, you know, enterprises and all that, you've got this blank page that you have to fill with stuff and turn into a story. And Nelson and I, we really wanted to do something that took full advantage of that and really do something that had imagination uh, and a vastness and create a main character that we thought could compete with the other main characters that are out there. Uh, so we're really ambitious about what we can operate here. I mean, we're, you know, we talk about Marvel books all the time. We talk about DC books all the time. You know, I think Frank Miller, uh, like I mentioned before, is probably my biggest influence on this. But also Marjorie Liu is a, is a huge influence on Romulus. So if you're looking at that, it's more like looking at the first issue of, you know, Doctor Strange, Right, or like the first issue of 
of of Black Widow or something. That's more how Nelson and I are approaching Romulus itself. Very cool. So, Brian, with uh, Romulus, I, I know that you have this planned out and all, but do you have any ideas of uh, people that you might bring on to guest star in it? Or do you like maybe some featured art or writing with you? Is there anyone that you might bring in to collab with here in the future? Or have you thought about that? I have thought about it somewhat, you know, and there's a couple of uh, uh, writers that, I, that I'm friends with out there. Like John Sway uh, is a writer. He had an image book called Run, Love, Kill. Big fan of that book. Big fan of John. I spoke to John about, you know, coming in and doing sort of a, a side story, maybe in a bit, uh, in like six months or so. Because we've got characters that can spin off into their own places. Uh, Nelson has uh, a story he's working on that he wants to write and draw on his own that uh, is about one of the side characters in Romulus. So I have, you know, brought that up to people in terms of artwork. You know, we really haven't spoken about anyone else, really. You know, it's been a tour de force of Nelson really from this point. And so I think once the book gets in people's hands, if people read issue two, you know, issue three, issue four, all of that, then it'll really start to coalesce. Like, we know what this is. We see what it is, and we'll be able to to get some stuff. You know, I I love Bill Sienkiewicz, obviously. So uh, at some point, you know, I'd probably run after Bill Sienkiewicz. You know, I think I think a lot of guys are exclusive. I, you know, Noto can't do anything. I think I think he's Marvel exclusive now. But you know, there are a bunch of guys out there that I'm huge fans of, and I will actively try to draft them into the madness <laughs> and see if I can get them to take part. Right. Uh, yeah, if they're exactly. allowed for their contracts to do so. Yeah, obviously you seem like you're into um, comics now and stuff. Uh, are you reading anything currently? Yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I'm really weird. I'll get on something for a while and get off and get on something else. Uh, you know, I don't have a lot of time to read everything. But right. my favorite thing right now is probably Darth Vader. I think Darth Vader is brilliant. I Darth think Vader we're... down? Yeah, I mean, yeah, all, yeah. All, like, you know, stuff oh, yeah. that Aaron's writing, the stuff that Dylan's <laughs> writing. <laughs> Like, what they're doing, Darth Vader is a tremendously difficult character to write, and they are doing a fantastic job of doing it. And I think that's why I'm so impressed by it, because that's one of those jobs I wouldn't want. You know, if if Marvel was like, hey, Brian, you want to write Darth Vader? No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, why? Like, I can only fail. (laughs) It's like one of those things, I'm going to write something wrong, and everyone's going to hate me. Right. Like, like, that just seems like an unwinnable scenario, right? But the yeah. what they've done there is brilliant. I really like uh, Monstrous, Marjorie's book. I think um, that book is, is, is really, really good and, and has a lot of imagination and depth uh, around um, the, the sci-fi concept of kaiju warriors and all of that. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. And then, you know, I mean, I, I read old stuff over and over again. I'm that guy. Right, so like I'm looking at my my shelf, and I, I still got uh, I've got East of West, I've got I've got Hickman's mm-hmm. book here. I got the big you know image hardcover thing, so I've been reading and rereading that. I have the old John Byrne Man of Steel, uh, that I was actually reading, studying that um, from like the '80s because that work is some of the best comic book stuff that's out there. Is what he does with panels and storytelling is brilliant. So I love I love rereading that one. Dark Knight Returns is here. Uh, Ruckus Lazarus is open. Yeah, so, you know, that's sort of like my wheelhouse of stuff. I'm getting into Wiktiv. I, uh, I, I didn't catch it when it first came out, but Darth Vader, like, mm-hmm. hit me so hard that I was like, you know what? I need to go follow everything this guy writes. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, and Vader uh, is good. It's just sad that there's only, like, two more issues left to it. 
Well, I have a theory, right? Here's my theory. Uh-huh. So when, when you're managing an IP, uh, intellectual property, a franchise that's so, so vast, you've got to make sure all the pieces work together, right? So Rogue One is coming out. Mm-hmm. So the way the comic book is progressing, eventually the timeline of the comic book is going to mesh up with the timeline of Rogue One. And I think they've got to stop the comic before the Rogue One timeline happens. Otherwise, people are going to wonder why these characters that we're really into in the comics aren't in Rogue One. And that becomes kind of a nightmare to oversee as a franchise, you know? And so that's my theory, like, uh, that it's really a tribute to, to Caron's work, you know, that it's so good that they have to make sure that they're able to still have the space to make the films the way they want to make them. Uh, yeah. But I hope that, you know, he gets another Star Wars thing and does more Star Wars stuff because uh, he seems to really get it. You know, he understands how to how to make that experience work on a, on a page. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Salvador is great too. Salvador Roca is great. So, um, yeah, that's that's my, my Vader theory there. <laughs> yeah, reading an article about that, he was talking about how he's decided to end it also because it, now it takes this ends where Star Wars finishes right before the Empire Strikes Back. That was mm. awesome. Yeah. Right. There you go. Now, do you have a Marvel or DC character you'd want to write in the future? Ooh, that is a good question. No one ever asked me that because I write a book about a mailman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants to write superheroes. Right? Right? I tell you what, like, I, I, I look, everyone loves Batman. So you have to put Batman on the table because, you know, Batman's like the Hamlet of comics. If you're an actor, you want to play Hamlet. If you're a writer, I think you want to write Batman. So certainly there. Uh, On the DC end, I like the weirder guys. I'm a huge fan of the question. And, and you know, and and like the the Cowan uh, stuff, you know, from back in the day uh, and Chaikin and all that, like that was a big, big, big influence on me. So. I'd love to, to go to the question. I love Dr. Fate. I think Dr. Fate is really cool and could be like super, super cool. And that'd be fun. I like Superman too, honestly. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a constructionist. I'm like a Christopher Reeve guy, but uh, I do love Superman. Cassandra Cain is, uh, she's actually a big influence on Romulus, the Cassandra Cain bad girl, um, because I love those books, the silent running thing that, uh, that came out with her debut. So that's where kind of where I am on the on the DC front. Spectre, I think, is really cool. I like the off kilter characters. You know, I like the characters that aren't necessarily in the Justice League, but have like just something going on with them that that's worth exploring and kind of interesting. On the Marvel side, you know, I I was a Marvel kid growing up, so I I'm pretty much into all of them except I guess it is for a strange reason I really want to do a Dazzler series hmm. like i, I think the dazzler yeah like 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 you know like the pop singing x-men character yeah. like yeah i i think there's something kind of sinister uh about what happens in pop music this is probably for me coming in i live in la right so mm-hmm. i know a lot right. of people that are in pop music um i know that world pretty well and uh, i also produce a little music myself just you know just as like a fun thing to do so there's something kind of sinister going on there. And I think like the CD sinister nature of popular music and that culture combined with the role of celebrity combined with the, the ability to do superhero stuff and her being a mutant. 
I think there's something really awesome and kind of meta and cool in a, in a, in a Dazzler book uh, that could be really interesting, especially if you teamed her up with somebody who she normally wouldn't be with, like a Psylocke or something, and just kind of try to figure out how that would work, right? Like, yeah. there's, I think there's something really interesting there. So I like that. Um, I, I love The Incredible Hulk. You know, stories about, like, repression and release and all of that are uh, things I'm very interested in. Um, you know, anything, Marvel Knights, anything, you know? Oh, like, yes. Like, I love Becky to death. I love Becky to death. But she's, she's writing The Punisher, man. And I tell her all the time on Twitter, is like, oh, you have it. You're so awesome. You have it. Uh, so The Punisher would be really cool. You know, like, yeah, like, I, I like character-driven genre stuff, you know? So there's not really a character you can throw at me that I'm like, oh, man. I guess maybe I don't want to write Plastic Man. Don't give me plastic. <laughs> you, so you'd be happy to write dupe? No. Not <laughs> I mean, I try to find something with it, you know, you got to work with it a little bit, but I would prefer not to. But yeah, for the most part, if it's a, you know, if it's a character that I can play with a little bit and also carry them into really cool kinetic genre stories, I'm down. Oh, I guess the last thing is Lois Lane. I've always wanted to do a Lois Lane uh, miniseries. But like a gritty sort of like Jason Bourne tone, Lois Lane. Uh, you know, journalists are in danger a lot of places, especially Russia, for instance, right? True. So I always have this idea about what would happen uh, if Lois found herself in a situation like that, but needed to know that she could handle it herself and didn't ask Clark to help her, right? You know, this idea that, you know, Lois is this super well-known reporter, you know, she's... She's a celebrity. She has access to the most powerful man in the world. I think a lot of her reporters would look at her uh, with a side eye and say, yeah, but you don't, you're not like us anymore. You know, you've got a god on speed dial. We don't, right? And I just had this concept that maybe she wants to know that she could still hack it if she didn't have uh, Clark around to help her. So she gets into a situation that's incredibly dangerous and then tells Superman, whatever happens, don't save me. I need to know I can save myself. You know, it's been too long where I know that Superman saves me, Superman saves me, Superman saves me, but I need to know that I can, I can be all right if you don't. And sort of using that as a springboard, and then having like this kind of intense, you know, like journalism in danger, like zero dark 30 kind of story with Lois Lane. I don't know how that fits into what Jeff wants to do now, so, you know, that might not totally be what they're looking for, but I've always thought that would be a really, really cool thing to do. Yeah, right? sounds good. And you actually yes. made me want to read yeah. Lois Lane and or Dazzler. Those are two books I never <laughs> thought I would ever say I would want to read. But if you that, wrote that, I, I think I'd be interested. I, I really like like coming in on something that someone's like, you know, I have I don't know why this is cool. And then be like, oh, I totally know why that's cool. That's so cool because this, 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 and this. And then all we have to do is this. And then we have this big thing. And so those those ideas get me the most excited. Like, I think, you know. Um, it would be obviously like cool to have the big platform working on a big you know JL character or mainstay Marvel Avengers character, but a lot of times the work that's really personal that's still commercial comes when writers are working on things that aren't those main guys that don't have the toy line yet, but they just find something in there and then make that really work. Yeah, like Tom King doing Vision, which is just right. It's awesome. Tom King is so awesome. He's Omega like Men as well. Awesome just. Dude. Yeah. Oh man, like what an awesome dude to have in comics. The guy's like a yeah. 
uh, like, a, like a CIA guy and a brilliant writer <laughs> and just like the nicest guy in the world. Like if Tom King had T-shirts, I'd wear a Tom King T-shirt. Man. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is the bee's knees, man. I love that guy. And Reed Sheriff of Babylon. It's really excellent, by the way. If you're not, whoever's listening to this, Tom King's book of Mitch Rats, Reed Sheriff of Babylon. It is brilliant. It's so good. Uh, I think it's in like six issues now. So you can still, you know, kind of catch up pretty quickly. But give that book a chance. When you're asking me about books, I sort of brought that up. I do. I follow every issue of Sheriff of Babylon. I think what he's doing, Tom is doing with the storytelling, just dwarfs me every time. Kind of makes me want to quit, but then I don't quit. Oh, right? please, like, please don't. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> okay. Really, really good for that book. So good. I think I have uh, one more question. I think this might be our final question. But um, sure. besides uh, Postal and Romulus or anything, do you have any plans for anything else? Well, sure. Um, I think we've announced this before. I can talk about it. I am relaunching uh, the Aphrodite character at Top Cow into a new series uh, based on the Five version, Aphrodite Five. And for those that aren't familiar, uh, Aphrodite was part of Cyber Force. Uh, she was a Cyber Force assassin, basically like a, a robot, an android. And I've always thought the character was really cool. Again, this is like my thing. Um, but you know, I. It, there wasn't like a seminal series of Aphrodite that would uh, you'd be able to put in front of someone and say, this is you know why the character really works. So I talked to Matt about it, and I had this Mamoru Oshii, you know, kind of Ghost in the Shell meets Verhoeven's Robocop concept for this character, and he dug it. So we're doing a new series. Jeff Spokes is doing the art on that. That will likely be out, I'd probably say January or something, but don't hold me to that. But I'm really excited about that. You know, it's a sci-fi action thing, you know, with a, with a character that uh, comes from, like, the 90s pantheon of Top Cow stuff. But I get to update her and make her a bit of a James Cameron sort of figure. Uh, you know, it's like that kind of experience. So that book is, is definitely coming out. Um, and then I don't think I have anything else I can talk about. But I've got, I've got more stuff coming. I've got a horror thing coming I can't talk about. Ooh, nice. I've got an espionage thing. Uh, coming that I, I'm working on with Mark uh, Silvestri, but I can't talk about that. Um, and then I have uh, another action thing. Yeah, so I've got more books along the way, and we're still going to keep going with Postal, keep going with Romulus and Aphrodite. So, you know, those those books are all seen as continuing. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'm going to have a lot of content that's out there. Um, Very busy man. Yeah. You got to keep busy, man. Keep Keeping busy keeps you young. Yeah, well, I'm very, me personally, I know I'm very, very excited, uh, you know, based off Postal alone, I can't wait to read Romulus, you're probably, you know, like I said, going off Postal, one of my top writers right now, I love reading, like, when I can read a book, and I can, like, hear the character's voice in my head, and, and I don't hear myself reading, that's when I know I'm hooked, and that happened with me with Postal, um, I hear the characters when I read them. I don't hear myself. And so you're a fantastic writer and I greatly appreciate everything you've done and coming onto the show today. Oh, thanks, man. That's really kind. Read Will Eisner. You know, that's where everyone gets it. So <laughs> if you like that experience, <laughs> go read some Will Eisner, man. Eisner is what, what, you know, really started the power of the inner monologue in comics. So definitely check out the spirit and then you'll see the source of all that stuff. It's been great to talk to you guys. Uh, I, I love talking to folks, take the time to cover comics because the conversations are always great and energetic. Um, so feel free to reach out to me anytime. Uh, I'm always here and thank you guys for reading and supporting and thank you listeners out there 
who've been dealing with my morning baritone this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, hopefully I'll talk to you guys soon. Hey, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, Brian. that was an amazing interview but uh i think this is gonna be better uh so welcome to the review section of our wonderful podcast and today we have a double feature to defeat all double features but before we get into the two of one let's talk about number one which is dc rebirth uh so the universe rebirth issue number one 80 page that's actually 70 pages giant by Jeff Johns and a, a plethora of just great A artists. Uh, Gary Frank, Ethan Van Skyver, Ivan Reyes, Phil Jimenez, you know, Joe Prado, all these guys that inked and stuff. There's the, the list goes on and on. I mean, you could be here days just reading the list of creators. Um, but we've all read it here, all four of us, and I think you all have too. So be warned if you haven't yet, there will be spoilers. And if you haven't read it yet, then. Maybe you probably don't care, so uh, yeah. let's get into it. <laughs> it must be a, a non-DC person. Yeah. Right, I wonder. So, hmm. I, if Rusty's read it, I mean, come on, guys. This is that like, says, this speaks <laughs> volumes. If you haven't read it yet, then are, are you a comic fan? I guess, welcome welcome to the podcast, but, uh, yeah, you know, It's uh, 80 pages I actually read. I was like, wow. Yeah, so you know, that was, like, amazing. Yeah, a week and a half later, and I'm still, my mind is still just completely broken open more so than dc rebirth did um if you ever complain about the internet and spoilers uh rusty didn't even know a general fact <laughs> a general fact that it was 80 pages long something that dc yeah. has been talking about for what half a year now yeah months months <laughs> yes so, it's like on every interview on every promo yeah. the 299 issue with 80 pages <laughs> <laughs> it showed how much i cared Oh, oh. Man. excuse you. Oh, <laughs> <Rush> is over. <laughs> okay. Well, three guys in a comic would like to just go ahead. <laughs> no, but seriously, this was just... Um... Okay, so I want to actually ask you, Rusty, uh, you're probably going to have a million questions for us. What did you think? It was interesting. I really didn't know what half the things in it were talking about. But I, it's just that I got through the whole thing said a lot. I really thought that some of the characters in there that I weren't familiar with were, were actually a lot more badass than I thought, I guess. and uh, But there was a lot of questions because I guess things have changed in DC. Because really the only DC I've ever read is like older stuff. And so I have no idea what's going on in the current universe or anything. And uh, just seeing, like, I guess how backstories changed and everything else, I was like, how did these changes happen? Most part. But it was, it left me curious enough because of the uh, big spoiler near the end, which I won't talk about it yet, but I am a fan of another set of, uh, I don't know if you want to call them heroes, uh, introduced in this. I was just pleasantly surprised to see Holly West. it was just so nice refreshing to have that in there so uh let me paint a picture for all you kind folks you know listening in your car at home Uh, i woke up at 5 a.m the day of rebirth not because i was excited to read it but because i actually had to go to work and he was excited to read it up not not at 5 a.m i woke up at 4 50 to start the comiXology purchase download 
it's an 80 page book it's get a download uh and then i took another 10 minute nap set the what's that thing called um whatever you know the thing that wakes you up every every five minutes or whatever a snooze a snooze that's it that's the one yes um and yeah and you know i woke up i ate my breakfast and sat down and cracked open this book and at 5 a.m in the morning you're a little groggy you're a little upset uh and i'm reading this and it's a bit wordy at the start and you've got this yellow dialogue box and all of a sudden which should have been a huge hint but i actually didn't even I catch know. on until i didn't even think it would happen yeah i didn't catch on at first but then you see you see this little streak of lightning uh, again reading on comiXology so they show you like the little dialogue box that says my name is wally west and i just see and then you see the huge picture and you're like mind blown adrenaline rushing yeah. to me i'm like i could go to work let's go to work right now let's go <laughs> it's wally west is back. get a call but then i calmed down and i realized there's like 70 more pages to read but yeah that was uh that was a great way to start the morning and uh, it's a great way to start rebirth, I think. In all honesty, yeah, no, it really was. It really and was. Not yeah. only were they showing Wally, but they were showing Wally in uh, kid Flash uniform, not Flash Flash, and he looks a little bit younger than than what we remember. Was cool, like I. The oh, I love the kid to, Flash I outfit. Cool. I have yeah, always loved great. the kid Flash outfit. See now, here is my here is my thing with it. It, it. To me, though, it was Kid Flash outfit being worn by Wally West. But when Wally West was a kid, he didn't wear that exact outfit. Okay, <laughs> so it seems like they put him in the wrong outfit. Oh, like they to be to begin the original. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. you know, if you go back to the the older you know uh, '70s stuff, you know the stuff back in the day with Wally, it's not the same. Oh, costume! I, it's it's the yeah. kid Flash costume from the Volume Two series when it was uh, God, what's his name again? Jesse. Mm-hmm. That threw me off for a little bit. Of a loop. But I do like the costume, but to me, it's like they they used the wrong costume for Wally West. Uh, but going maybe into they the, didn't though. Maybe it's all part of the. It could be. It could we, be. Yeah, you don't know. But, you know, as I'm beginning to read this, you know, I'm kind of hyped because, you know, I love Wally. Um, and I was going through, it was like, oh, this is cool. But there was just so much flashback to stuff in that in the first, God, you know, and God, they must have done about, what, seven pages on just flashback things. And for those of you listeners that are, are not aware, all that flashback stuff takes place in The Flash Volume 2. Uh if you're not familiar with it, you can go to our YouTube for Four Guys in a Comic, and I have in there a complete storyline of The Flash Volume 2, issues 1 through 247. You know, in a, f- a few minutes, you can get caught up to speed with everything that was being talked about in that flashback stuff within Rebirth. So, so as I'm reading, I was like, hey, I remember talking about this stuff. Okay, this is cool. And it was nice that they did keep it true and form to the Volume 2 series, which I did like in that. Yeah, I think Rusty appreciated that too. Yeah, yeah, because for the casual reader, maybe that's not familiar uh, with the origin. I think the flashbacks were needed because obviously, I think DC was creating Rebirth for obviously the hardcore fans, but I think they also wanted to make it a good jumping-on point for new readers as well, uh, like Rusty, for instance. Exactly. So, so I think the flashbacks were 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 welcomed in that sense. No, it was it was welcome. You know, as, as I won't lie, as I'm reading, it's like this isn't rebirth. It's like 
reissue. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. They just refixed all the continuity stuff basically yeah. and they're like this is what's canon now this is it you know mm-hmm. just i was just gonna say we kind of skipped it over but um there was that little bit that three panels with uh bruce in his cave and yes. seeing that there's three jokers out there now yes oh yeah three oh, jokers yes. are I forgot, like, what's going on with that because one of them had the camera i guess and that's from like the killing, killing joke. joke yeah oh, yep. so uh, uh but so, i didn't know what's up with the one with the sides of his head shaved that's from new 52 yeah, mm, yeah 52 okay. So there's DC, I think, from how I read it, and I think how other people read it is DC's making it canon that there is officially three Jokers out there now. And the kill the, the fact that the killing joke Joker is one of them is huge. I absolutely love it because, as we discussed last week with Killing Joke, you know, that wasn't meant to be canon. And so the fact that they're making it, because I love that Joker, I love that sinister thing. And, you know, Nova's you know, revelation about did Bruce kill him or what? I mean, I think, I don't know. I'm excited to keep going with it. It's very, very cool. So something I got to ask. If you don't know what we're talking about, that step will come out later on in this podcast with a special segment by Nova. Yeah. But, um, (laughs) something I got to ask, like, where was Wally? How did he get in this situation? Do we, do we know that or not exist after? No. Yeah. So what happened? Like, Flashpoint was Barry going back in time, or so we thought, uh, and basically changing reality. Butterfly effect. Yeah. Like he tried to, the, with his mom and everything? Correct. He wanted to okay. save his mom. So that was like the same thing they based like the first season of The Flash, or the second season of The Was it second season? Well, end of, yes, both seasons tie into it, basically. Yeah, I guess it was first season, because that was with Reverse Flash and everything, but. Yeah, it, it was yeah. really both seasons, to be honest, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Now oh, yeah. I wanted. I had one question. I, I figured you would know the answer to this, Noah. But the watch. The whole thing started with the watch, and I, I swear I remember something about a watch. I want to say it was in the Batman New Fifty Twos. Is this the same thing? Uh, the watch. No, it's not. The watch connects from the start to the end, and then mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense. Uh, ton like so much sense it makes perfect sense I, when i first started reading it i had no idea i was like why why would you even show this i guess they're talking about time being lost and stuff like that yes mm-hmm. you get to the end and it's just like pff, ryan ollie drawing your brains exploding yep 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 it's, it yeah it's, but, but for something about this watch from the new 52 from the bat uh from batman new 52, uh, i don't know if I re- it's new 52 like it's it's a big reveal at the end uh which i think I don't know. Should we just spoil it now, Nova? Yeah, let's just talk about it, <laughs> talk about it now. About it. I mean, None other than Ru- what Rusty was kind of hinting at earlier. The Watchmen. Bum, yeah. bum, bum. And the reason the watch makes a lot of sense is because Dr. Manhattan, before he became who he was, fixed watches. And his, his dad was a big guy who, mm-hmm. what do they call it? Like a watchsmith? Is that what they're called? Watchmaker? I don't know. What that's, I guess that's what they used to, uh, No one does that anymore. Not, or not as often, but... Yeah, in in the Watchmen, there was a lot of scenes with um, with Doctor Manhattan before he became God, um, fixing watches and doing that. So that that's where it just came full circle for me. Yeah, it was kind of a the, the, so at the beginning with the watch, they were kind of hinting at it, and I was thought to myself, I go, that seems kind of Watchmen ish, but I didn't really like. 
think about, I didn't really put too much thought into it because I'm like, oh no, that's something different. Like, why would that have anything to do with rebirth? Like, I was not expecting that. And so then when it came full circle and they showed Dr. Manhattan, I was like, oh my God. Because, like, remember on the front cover, not the variant issue, but the main issue, the superheroes are all reaching out to the finger. Like, they're doing the, the God, Adam and Eve remake, you know, drawing thing. And they, Jeff John said, uh, uh, you you guys are gonna be blown away when you find out whose finger they're reaching out to, and to find out that it's Doctor Manhattan was, yeah. oh man, that was huge. That was cool. And in the last final pages, you see that broken watch. In the first one, they show it. There's like a a, a gear that's rusted and broken off, <laughs> rusted. And in, <laughs> on the final two pages, it's uh, it's getting fixed, uh, obviously by Doctor Manhattan. I also thought it was cool with uh, Batman and the uh, oh, yeah. the comedian. That was great. He yes. yeah, he found the, the yeah. Mark, yeah, and it says we're being watched. Yeah, oh, with a little pin on it. Yeah, yeah. Batman's the one yeah. to figure it out. I saw that in my. It was a, God, what a morning that was. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I have to go to work. I just want to talk about this all day with people. Yeah, I remember you messaged me and you're like, "Let me know as soon as you read it," because like I had to wait, I had to work all night, and so I had to wait till I got home that night to read it. And so when I did, it was kind of late by message. I was like, "Oh my god!" Okay, so I gotta ask too because Batman's character in Rebirth was I, there was all kinds of weird things they were mentioning, like um, Bruce's dad like watched his son That's get shot. Flashpoint, yeah. Is it Flashpoint too? Yeah. Okay, so that was. Basically, so basically, yeah, basically, just real quick, when when Barry went back in time and basically screwed everything up or whatnot, instead of his parents being killed, it was actually, I think Martha was still killed, but instead of, like, Thomas Wayne being killed, it was Bruce that was killed. Martha actually becomes the Joker after Bruce is killed. Oh, that's right, that's right. What? Yeah. It's wild, man. You gotta read or watch the movie. Yeah, it's super, super crazy. So, Bruce is the one that's killed, not the parents. And so, Thomas Wayne becomes Batman, but he's a very dark. I mean, Batman's dark to begin with, but Thomas Wayne is like a killer. Like, he has guns and he will kill you. He does not care. Okay. Um, And so, when he. So, when Barry. And Barry lost all of his powers and stuff when he went back and he was talking with Thomas. He's like, Bruce. And he's like, why? How do you know my son? And he's like, oh, shit. Like, he's starting to realize that things are different. Yeah. Um, Barry lost all of his powers and whatnot. And so he kind of so he had to, like, prove to Thomas, like, who he was. And Thomas helped him get his powers back, basically, by kind of recreating the experiment. And uh, in doing so, when he when Barry was going back to current time. Uh, Thomas gave him a letter to give to Bruce, um, which basically says like, you know, I've always loved you, blah, blah, blah type thing. And so that's in regards to rebirth. That's what that letter is when he's like at the very beginning of the wall. He's like, remember that note from Thomas? That's where it all started. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's what he's referring to. Okay. There's a billion things on this. Like, I, are y'all just ready oh, for this yeah. question train that I have? Uh, <laughs> there's okay. There's one scene I really want to talk about because it just made me giggle with fanboyism. Uh, <laughs> they show a home for the elderly, and there's this oh, crazy yeah. old guy running around, and he sees Wally. Uh, Wally's appearing to these characters he has a connection with. He basically just says, "The thing that got me was use the genie, find the Justice Society." 
and it's just like oh my god this is johnny thunder it's like where has the justice society been <laughs> what's been happening and then he starts yelling out thunderbolt thunderbolt where did you go say you say you thunderbolt come back please and i was like yes finally thank you jeff johns the guy who cares the most about the jsa finally showing them some love yeah but there's tons of that stuff in here like the the one thing i guess we can talk about i didn't really care about was uh the whole adam bit um where there's basically something going on in the microverse oh yeah yep. no that mm-hmm. seemed kind of interesting like I, it caught my attention i didn't know what it was talking about but i thought it was weird uh but oh who adam yeah what's yeah, the guy's name adam yeah, yeah. There's, there's ray palmer and then there's um i don't i don't remember choice someone Choi. i don't remember I've never read actually the Adam when it wasn't Ray Palmer. Yeah, neither. I'm not familiar with There was someone other than Ray Palmer that was the Adam. I was just going to mention you were talking about Dr. Fate earlier. Yeah. So what's up with this Dr. Fate guy? See, I don't know anymore. I haven't read his solo series. He's been like this, uh, this kid who just found the helmet. But now it looks like it's good old. It's an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, Hector Hall, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, they, uh, we didn't get enough information on that. But it's uh, what he tells uh, Blue Beetle is kind of interesting. He tells him your scarab isn't. Uh, it's not technology. It's magic. Um, yeah. Which I think for, for some reason is odd. I, the people I've talked to were like, "Why did they do that? I don't like that it's magic." I'm like, "Who? You care about Blue Beetle all of a sudden?" <laughs> yeah. Never mentioned. It's like, you know, why did they make it magic? We're like, okay, well. Yeah, no. The one thing, though, kind of real quick, though, touching back on the microverse thing is uh, he, Ray Palmer, throws out there to Ryan, um, you know, that he left him a a size changing belt and he's the only one that can kind of help them and potentially save the universe. And then I'm excited to see where it goes. While I haven't read anything Adam related in years, I am excited, though, to see where this goes because he kind of cuts off. The, he leaves you at the cliffhanger, basically, which is why I'm so interested in it. It's because he says you're, when you get to the microverse, you're going to meet someone in the first layer. And whatever they tell you, do not. And then everything just cuts out. And you have no idea what's to come. Yeah. Um, and the Atom doesn't have a solo series in Rebirth, does he? I don't recall no, seeing any no, solo series, but you never know. So I'm curious to see how that's going to pan out. I'm I'm kind of seeing it as an overall big picture thing. So I'm I'm excited for that. Actually, it, it's it's intriguing to me. Yeah. So our favorite fish guy had a little section in this. Getting married. I saw that. I was like, what? Oh, this is bum, girl. Bum, bum. <laughs> yeah. Arthur, uh, Arthur, finally tying the knot over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, then we got we got a little a uh, bit of a uh, Hal Jordan in there as well. Yeah, what's up with this Green Lantern girl? Uh, who is she? She just got the ring. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's one of the new Green Lanterns from yeah. Fifty Two. Jessica Cruz. She no, she's a Lantern now. She's yeah. got the ring. I think she got it in Justice League Fifty Two. Just like fifty, sorry, just as like fifty. But her and Simon Baz are gonna be the in the Green Lanterns title. I like Simon Baz. He hasn't been around for a while. I like his costume. I can't lie. The design is pretty badass. I like we the also, costume. We also had a, a visitor. Rusty, you may be confused as well. There are two Supermen in the Yeah, I was like, now. What? So it somehow they haven't explained it. Lois and Clark from pre New fifty two 
are were in the new 52 as well and they had this cool scene where when the justice league was first fighting dark side superman was there like one microsecond away from joining the fight and saving the day the old superman who has his wicked beard um, yeah he kind of looks like hyperion though i'm gonna say that right now in marvel in marvel's hyperion series he's got like a second. beard and everything <laughs> and wears, uh, flannel and i was just like huh yeah yeah he's become sort he's he's gone back to his uh smallville roots wearing his uh, farmer outfit he looks cool. I like the beard. How, it was a different kind of look. He's channeling his inner pocket. Who's his kid? Yeah, he's he's got a kid. I don't I I forget the kid's name, but he's gonna be teaming up with Damien. Okay, which will be fun. I, I think I saw like a listing for it was like Superman What's, and his super son or something. Yes, like yeah. yes. Yeah. What's yep. really cool is the hotel. If you look at the hotel Lois and Clark are staying in, it's called the Seagull. <laughs> I like that. that was a nice little uh, yes, a little toss there. Yep, next to the Seagull Coffee Shop. Yep, <laughs> and we also got a little bit of a dark side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that? Wonder Woman. He was like a baby. Yeah, yeah. That's. I think that's been through Dark Side War as well, right? That, yeah, that it was touched on in Dark Side War. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Wonder Woman, Swin Brothers, Dark Side. No big deal. <laughs> I was just okay. That's weird. They also have a little. <laughs> Rusty's mind's been blown. <laughs> yeah. right, right? It's like just, just rip apart everything I know. <laughs> I don't know much about DC, and you're ruining it. <laughs> and then we have this like nice little one panel with Constantine and Swamp Thing, which is he calls him a turnip. I guess they're going to be doing something together against the case. I am so excited by that. And then we see Dick Grayson pulling out his blue and black Nightwing outfit. We yes. know it's going to happen, mm-hmm. but it's just great to see him pull it out again. I will say the funny thing about that, my son loves Nightwing, and uh, he loves the blue and black. So like as soon as he found it, he goes, Dad, 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 look, it's Nightwing. It's blue and black. And I was like, yes, it's awesome that you're so geeked about this. Like... Well done, kid. Well done. So, flashpoint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put them all together. Oh, there's together. A see, uh, see Billy. Billy Batson. Yeah. The, the only time I saw him was at uh at that in that field. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, because if they made a Billy book, I would read it. Yeah. I would. Yeah, read I know it. what I, I would, would too. Read. Actually, I've been begging for it. I don't know what the what the deal is. You like Shazam? Do you, Rusty? I do actually. <laughs> Who doesn't enjoy good Shazam? Yeah, I I liked him in the animated series stuff. Actually, I kind of enjoyed the character. I know I wasn't. I knew who the character was and whatnot, but I wasn't real familiar with him until I started watching more of the animated stuff. But we did Kingdom Come. I I really liked Billy. Like, yeah, I I, I liked it way back when it was like the 1970s TV show. <laughs> or we actually, I think it was older than that. I think it was 60s. Anyways, yeah, Shazam's cool. Yeah, Shazam's awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm fl- sorry, I'm just flipping through these pages, and it's the it's the Wally and Barry. Yes. Oh my yeah. god! Not only is the art just like magnificent, but Nova cried. I can't. I don't even want to talk about In fact, for you listeners, he's shedding a tear now. Uh, he he's pulling a Kevin Smith, and he's crying right Barry, now. You don't know who I am, and you won't remember. So this is hello and goodbye. No, Wally, don't uh, go. Well, 
Yeah, because like the, back. <laughs> the the anguish on his face too is just like you said, the art. It's just very, very, very well done. Yeah, they did a really good job. He's like, like, Barry, Barry, thank you for an amazing life. Just all this stuff. I'm not gonna read it because I will weep, and then I'll never be on the show again. Wally, he just called out. And yeah. it was like, what? I'm sorry, I forgot. See, now that's actually, I'll be honest, I had a little bit of a problem with that. You know, why is Barry the one who brings Wally back in from the Speed Force when all throughout Volume 2, it was repeatedly over and over again, Iris. Iris was is his lightning rod. Iris is always the thing that has been able to bring Wally back from the Speed Force. Why wasn't Iris the one to do it, damn it? It wouldn't have made it as exciting. I don't know. <laughs> but they wanted, they wanted there, to make it more interesting with the art. But They're in like, continuity, it, w- it should have been Iris. Yeah, well, I just think, yeah, I don't know. Again, it comes to who's read all of Volume 2 versus the people <laughs> like, oh, oh, Barry and Wally are like mentor and student. And yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm okay. I mean, yeah, they want that little touchy-feely thing. But, you know, I said my piece. It should have been Iris. Damn it. Yeah, that last line, too, is just, goodbye, Barry. He has a tear in his eye, too. I didn't catch that the first time I read it. Uh, I won't die in anguish. I'll go with love in my heart. (laughs) Every second is a gift. Goodbye. (laughs) I know, right? You got the red skull weeping over here. But then, so after all that happens, and you and Barry's disappearing, it's it's almost like uh, he's pixelating and starting to disappear, and he's he's fading out. Right? Barry grabs on and pulls him back in, and then like Jeff Johns, Wally's all confused and crying, and he's like, "I'm back." Like, be a man. Suck it up. Come on. This feels wrong and again, all of a sudden. <laughs> and, again, and again, where is Iris? Ah. But the beautiful thing is, is all of a sudden, when it happens, Flash remember Barry remembers him. Yeah. And there's, like, this really touching moment where they, they hug and they embrace. And he's like, how could I ever forget you? Now, I will say, the small panel right below that where they're showing Flash and he's, like, grinning from ear to ear, that art just looks a little wonky to me. <laughs> like, Flash just looks weird in that picture. More than that, I mean, it's like, to me, that, that just doesn't even look like a man hug, though. <laughs> That's all right. They're, they're embracing. Like- yeah, a little more than embracing that smile on his face afterwards. It was like that the smile so on his cheesy. face looks weird. Yeah, that it that was art cheesy. was just a little weird, yeah, but it was. Uh, but it's just crazy because now all of a sudden Barry remembers everything. He's like, I remember it all. Nobody else seems to remember anything, but I wonder why. Why is it that Barry can just all of a sudden out of it? Cause man, it's Barry. Doctor right? Manhattan willed it. Okay. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Manhattan was the is, chosen one. It's absolutely perfect how they chose Dr. Manhattan because if you've read Watchmen, he can be in all places at any time. Mm-hmm. It, it's just like he is insanely powered. And that, that's one thing I wanted. A lot of people have different theories about this Watchmen pin. I just think he placed it there. I don't think it was there all along. Uh, some people have thought that it was there, like it was in the Batcave 
like all along and we he just never saw it but i, I highly doubt that <laughs> yeah i don't i don't believe that I either it's dr manhattan just said right, man. let's let's be found like i'm gonna we're gonna put this pin here you know we can go to the first day this this cave was formed and just place it there or whatever and it wouldn't even matter he can literally do anything he wants oh my god dr manhattan that's gonna be awesome Tab, there was a theory you were talking about that people said uh, something about DC trying to redo the Watchmen with the DC characters. Yeah, there was a theory in the forums. Um, I can't remember exactly how it was worded. So if you're listening to this podcast and you were one of the ones with this theory and I butcher it, I apologize. I don't remember exactly how it was worded. But I had read that so a couple people were theorizing that uh, Dr. Manhattan is trying to basically redo the Watchmen. Um, but this time, instead of it being the comedian and Spectre and stuff like that, it's now going to be um, the D, like the main stay DC universe characters, much like the ones that you're seeing in here now. Uh, so, like, you're gonna have Batman instead of Rorschach. You're gonna have, uh, you know, yeah, or well. Yes, but technically he's the detective, so it'd be Rorschach. That was my thought process on that one. It wasn't because it was a mimic of... Because other than that, yeah, it would be. But to me, it's more detective. So instead of Rorschach, it's Batman. Uh, You know, instead of Silk Spectre, you got Wonder Woman. Instead of, you know, all these different uh, characters. Now, I don't know how I feel about that. Because I, I, I... While it's an interesting theory, I don't think that it can happen because there's so many ongoing series right now with rebirth. I don't see how they could tie it all in and make it work. It would be too short term. I could see it maybe for a mini series, but I couldn't see it for, for the long haul. And from my understanding, rebirth is the new continuity. Like this is the new long haul going forward. Like this isn't, you know, a, a gimmick, so to speak. Um, so I don't know if I, I don't know if I can buy a new, it is interesting though. I mean, it's definitely a, a cool thought process, but, last thing I want to talk about is the last page. You see a yellow clock, black background. It's the time says 11.45. Thoughts? Anything? Theories? Or is that just, you know, the, the clock, he, the watch he fixes going, you know, turning back in time? What does 11.45 stand for? Last hour, last minute. Oh. All right, this is conspiracy theory segment of the pot. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll find out maybe if it means anything at all, or maybe I'm just being silly. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll find out soon enough. I it obviously ties into something. It's not just a made up time. I definitely feel like it ties into something. So. Well, we will find out soon enough with all these issue number ones coming out. Now, we mentioned this was a double feature review segment, so let's get to feature number dos. Number dos. And I think uh, it's only fair if a certain villainous podcast host were to introduce this next uh, comic. (laughs) Well, Well, we've bored everybody with DC, so why don't we go ahead and move over to Marvel? Bored out. <laughs> uh, that wasn't quite the reaction I was expecting, but anyways, um, no, it, really, this week the whole talk has been about two things, really. 
DC's Rebirth and Marvel's Captain America, issue number one. Uh, crossed all the forums everywhere. That's all I ever see is people talking about one of these two things. And Captain America is basically a lot of controversy, a lot of complaints. I've seen, I've heard a lot of more negative stuff come out of this than good stuff. Yep. You know, and, and it all basically I mean, it starts off, you know, with just the cover itself. Here we got Captain America wielding the triangular original shield they had back in the 1941 issue one series. Yeah, redesign. Yeah, and the Falcon has, you know, the the circular shield that we all know and love. But not only is it triangular, but the bottom of the shield is a laser wielding, you know, tech device on it. It's just like... Can you or Rusty give a rundown eventually at some point? Because I haven't read the actual issue. So I would be interested to know what what happens uh, in general, if you guys don't mind. Oh, no, definitely. No, no, no. no. So basically, it starts off in 1926 in the Lower East Side of New York. You know, here we got young um, Steve Rogers is a, I would say he's maybe like six years old, you know, with his mom and dad. You know, dad starts backhanding mom. You know, then here we get some woman shows up and basically takes him at down. But the key to this, this part of this is um, the color of the comic at this time is like in a white, like very light gray scale. Yeah, like a whitewash kind of thing. Yeah. The only color you see really at all is from this woman who comes up to him and is introduced in this. And uh, what color was she uh, wearing? Red. That you just said it red, <laughs> you know the, her her uh, the part of the brim of her hat and the sh- uh, shawl or whatever it is she has around her is mm-hmm. red, and the only other reds you see is red tinges and lights and the lamp posts and things like this. Red is the only prominent color that you will see during the storyline, and as we find out, it is uh, Elisa Sinclair. So and she decides to take. And Sarah Rogers and uh, young Steve, you know, take him out to dinner and she kind of comforts her. She wines and dines him, man. Yes. It really wines and dines. They're kind of like, okay, what's going on? But then it breaks into the present day. And with Captain America in his new costume, new shield, and and a new body, basically. (laughs) That's the best way to put it. And it's interesting. Do you know how he got his uh, new body, Nova? Nope. Magic? Okay. No, and standoff? Well, kind of. Magic. Yeah, technically yeah. it is. Technically, <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, man, I know it, yeah. don't I? Good job. Uh, in standoff, um, there was a cosmic cube that formed its personified itself into a little girl. And um, the little girl changed him back into young cat, basically. Yeah. I was getting a little... Well, she did give him the option. She said, "Do you yeah. want? Do you want your youth back? Basically. Youth back, basically." She gave him the option, and he mm-hmm. took it. He took it, and he did. And it was a little corny, but in the end, it was pretty much the only way to get you know the old cap back into the new cap. So you're saying changes to Captain America are reverted fairly quickly? 
<laughs> they might usually not within a year not for usually sure. within a year when said cosmic cube entity is still running around in a thunderbolts mm-hmm. issue right now that kind of ties into this it makes you wonder yeah, <laughs> yeah. no it goes straight in the issue and i mean the, the the beginning of it it's just a little bit of like you know it starts out with action stuff it's him running around it's not really related to anything it's just kind of showing off his new shield and clothes well it was related actually i'm going to stop you there it was kind of related because he's trying to stop um a train that has a hydra agent strapped with uh explosives around uh, around his chest and that was the action he was trying to stop this explosion but also at the same time steve wanted to save the hydra agent also he the kid was ready to commit suicide it kind of went through like a brief uh, two pages of how the kid got to where he was in mm-hmm. Hydra. Um, and that's where we've been seeing like the infamous, like uh, red skull rally kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that was so great. Yeah. You know, it was nice to see the red skull and the suit and tie and basically how he's going about with this propaganda and to basically convince these people, these low lives, degenerates, criminals, cons, how, you know, that the Hydra way is the only way for them to move on in life and how, you know, Big Brother needs to be taken down. Now, I have to ask, I know, obviously, back in the day, Hydra was associated with, with the Nazis. However, in modern time, in modern comics, is Hy- Hydra doesn't have anything really to do with Nazis anymore. Like, they're now separated, no, correct? They're not affiliated? Separate. No. Okay, and so that's it, another thing that makes me mad about all these people freaking out then about the Cap mm-hmm. Hydra thing. I'm like... From my understanding, I was like, it was, it's fucking, we'll get there. Anyway, go on. I just wanted to make yeah. sure I was. No, no, well, we can touch on that a little bit because, yeah. you know, really, they did separate themselves a, a while back. It was basically shown that Hydra only aligned themselves with the Nazi party as a means to an end. They had really, they didn't care about the Nazi party. In the end, it was only, like I say, a way for them to get to their own agenda. And even in this issue, um, I forget the exact wordage, but, you know, Red Skull even states out there that, you know, I came from another country. You know, there was a war in the past. Both sides were right. Both sides were wrong. And, you know, they both had their own agendas. And it's time to move on. (laughs) Basically, he's like cuts ties in what he's saying with it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the thing, though. Like, whenever he's doing this, uh, like, you know, like, speech and everything, and he's, like, on this platform, it really gives off, like, not, like, old-school Red Skull vibe. It gives off more, like, uh, an American modern mm-hmm. vibe. and Like, he's like a politician. At, yeah, <clears throat> Donald Trump. Politician. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, it, it's pretty cool just to, like, see the progress of this kid. Like, I mean, I don't want to scoot away from Red Skull too much. But they did a pretty good job storytelling with this kid who yeah. is has strapped with a bomb on it because this like it, it kept going in and out of different stories. That's why at the yes. beginning we had the young one, um, then we had the train scene, and then we had like a little thing explaining who the guy on the train was, it, even though he ended up being a he was there for two pages. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't anyone important. No, but they did a good it, job telling his story. Yeah, the thing. and, like, and it gave you a great idea to see how it is, how, how a person becomes a hydra agent in the long run. You know, it was just that they found these people who just made the wrong choices in life. <laughs> so now I have a question because 
I like Nick Spencer. He's a good writer. He did Superior yeah. Foes of Spider-Man, The Fix. Uh, mm-hmm. He's writing Ant-Man. But when I read his uh, Sam Wilson Captain America, it was littered, absolutely littered with political and just all... U- it's mm-hmm. basically like a U.S. propaganda. Well, not propaganda, but like his standpoint on politics. Yes. Is this... Did this have that same vibe? Like he was trying to get... Not the same. Movie? Okay. No. no, not the same. It seemed less biased. Yes, okay. I would say it was more middle of the road and it explained mm-hmm. both sides. Yeah, and it wasn't all throughout. It was just, you know, a couple pages and boom, that was okay. it. That makes me want to read it more because that really turned mm-hmm. me off of the Sam Wilson series. Yeah, and agreed, agreed. So, yeah, and basically, you know, a lot of this was, you know, he tried to, wanted to, he stopped the, the train from reaching his destination to kill people. He tried to save the guy, but he did, it was unsuccessful and the guy ended up blowing himself up anyways. You know, we see that Sharon, you know, she's older. She, oh, I mean, she's got to It's I, weird kinda... seeing a young Captain America and an old Carter. Uh, making like, out. Yeah, making out. It's kind of <laughs> weird. <laughs> How old are we talking here? She looks like she's 60? like in her 60s. What? Did this yeah. jump into the future? No. See, that's the problem. You know, the art in this it was hit and miss with some stuff. There were some scenes that'd be absolutely beautiful. But then for an example, I'm looking at one page right now where Carter and cap are on a bench. They're kissing and everything. And the art to me, honestly, wasn't that great. And they did a very bad job in making Sharon's age and wrinkles and lines. Yeah. But then it goes, the artist is Jesus Saiz, right? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. I know he did Swamp Thing. It was pretty cool, but I could, yeah, his human yeah. But yeah, exactly, yeah. But then again, you get to the last panel on that page, and you find out that that bench that they're on is a bench that they on the back of the uh, helo carrier, and with a beautiful drawing of a sunset sky, and it's like you have this beautiful art mixed with this cartoony art, yeah. And it's one thing that kind of turned me off in the issue, to tell you the truth. And it seems like the, there was different artists at, at play here. <laughs> It'll change after a few issues. Of course, yeah. it will. It will. And you know, and then from there, it, like I say, it jumps back again to when Steve was a boy. And you know, even Sinclair is like, "Wow, he's got such a great heart." You know, you know, and she's whining, dying. You know, the, the, you know, the mother with wine Sarah. and lamb. Yeah, Sarah. You know, just really, really put on the full court press. But we just, and you can tell why. Why was she taking the time for for her? And I mean, we can jump to the. Should we just jump to the end of that part? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, basically, it turns out that she's re- trying to recruit the family into Hydra. Yep. So and that was kind of like, it, a, wow. He hands like she hands her. There's no reason they they, they don't explain it at all. No, it just like shows her story. being like. Well, this is the thing. Um, the reason why is she stopped her husband, Cap's dad, or Steve's dad, from beating mm-hmm. his mom in the street yeah. or whatever. And so she protected her from him and sent him off in a drunk stupor. And then at the end of this, she's like, well, if you ever want to talk to people, you know, with the same like mind and same ideas that we talked about today while we were at lunch, yeah. you know, uh, come join us. We meet up every, you know, day. Yeah, whatever. Or- whatever day it was or whatever and handed her a pamphlet and it said 
New uh, Hydra New York New York's Hydra Society. Yeah, something and like just, that. Yeah, Hydra Society had, Anonymous. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and then no. it, it, it cut out, and like she was thinking about it, she's like, "Oh, I can't do it or whatever, right?" And then at the very end, it shows her walking into the building. Yeah, and so and it doesn't explain that, anything after that. Yeah, all of, other than the fact that she want you know wanted to make a change in the world, and Hydra yeah. was Hydra was the means to the end to help her make it you know, a lonely, you know, woman to help make that change. But like I said, the story does jump around a little bit. And all of a sudden we get Baron Zemo, which was a really nice surprise. I've always liked Baron Zemo. The he's only thing ch- that was... He's a change I'm annoyed about. Yes. It, he, no, who, who does he remind you of? A lot of people say Cobra Commander. Yes. yes. He looks exactly <laughs> like Cobra Commander. Yes. I personally like the blue purplish hood over the pinkish hood, so I'm okay though. But yeah, yeah a lot of people say he looks. A lot of people say he looks very Cobra Commander-ish. Yeah, then, but again, as a big GI Joe fan, you know, I like the I like the look. But the whole time, I'm 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 waiting for you know Cobra. <laughs> just, cobra. Maybe, maybe they'll toss that in there as like a little joke. <laughs> really funny. Yeah. But, and which was it was and it was you know Baron he just wanted to you know basically start up his own little henchman to take down Red Skull. <laughs> yeah, it was um it was interesting because he was stranded with a uh, I guess a, is he a doctor? I think it's a doctor, right? Anyways, he gets stranded in the Himalayas. Oh because, yeah, that was with Doctor uh, Selving. Yeah, Eric and Selving. Uh, he, yeah. He, he gets. Uh, he gets uh, sent to the Himalayas and left there, basically, because Kobik, uh, the uh, Entity Cube and Standoff or whatever, mm-hmm. um, he played her off like he was her like friend or whatever. And really, he was just using her to manipulate space and time and different things going on in uh, Pleasant Hill. And um, so he pissed her off and she stranded him in the Himalayas. Basically she was like, yeah. I don't like you anymore. Go away. And then poof, he ended up in the Himalayas. And, yeah. um, so he's dragging the doctor around and he stops and he talks about how, you know, red skull thinks he's in control of Hydra, but what really ha- is I'm in control. I'm the one in charge of Hydra and they don't know. And he's going to go start his like own new Hydra. Yeah. So, and yeah. Those that have seen the new, uh, I'm not really going to discuss, but for those who have seen the new Captain America Civil War movie, um, they did a really good job portraying Baron von Zemo in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's they they show his intelligence. He's not a dumb man. No, right. So you can you can kind of really buy into that, which I think is cool. But now, now everyone knows Nick Fury is really running Hydra. Everyone knows that by now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the watcher yeah, is Samuel the Jackson too. with the and people. Baron Zemo comes back from where? Where was where was his first appearance again? No, I, no clue. Wasn't it an event? Sergeant Fury and his Helen Commander. Yes. No, I will say his his henchmen on that next panel, uh, Zemo's henchmen, they look almost like uh, bad Tekken characters. <laughs> they, they just they, they look a little cheesy and all they care about was how much they're going to get paid what's their dental plan and their medical benefits you know just like i ain't signing up until i know how much i'm getting paid classic hydra That's but so uh, funny though dude like as soon as they get get it together and he thinks he's got it all planned out he gets mm-hmm. shut down so fast yeah, he, well, he's even like grabbing his eyes. He's like, "Oh my god!" I yeah, I love that scene. <laughs> that that panel was awesome. You know, it's like, oh, oh 
Bourgeois. You know, just kind of like, what's going on here? I will say this. I want to I want to step back a little bit before we start talking about that. And there is a scene where it's like Jack Flag. Um, I don't know who the woman, the other two characters. Well, one of them is um, Rick Rick Jones. And, oh, when they're sitting in the cafeteria. Yeah, and who's the girl? I'm not sure who that is. To me, it seems like a new character. I don't think it's a new character. She's not a new character. They said it earlier. One sec. Uh, Free spirit. Free spirit. I don't know where she's from. I've never, I've never heard, heard of her. her. But yeah. I know she's an older character. But, you know, it, it's crazy. We have to talk about Jack Flagg for a second because he looks of like what a happened. <laughs> and, but, oh, is this a flashback, you said? No, he's no. around. He came I back. He I don't know in how. Civil I... War. He's he back. The Thunderbolts killed him, I thought. Bullseye. Oh. He's back. Well, you know, this is this is the Marvel rebirth. Who the so. hell knows what's going on? He's there. hanging Co- out. He's like, Kobe it's good to do- be back. He Kobe says is that. Dr. Manhattan and Marvel. Okay, that's what we've right. established. you got kids Basically. restoring Captain America's youth. You could have anything happening in Marvel. Yeah. Kobe is I Dr. Know. Manhattan. Yeah, okay. Um, one uh, thing I want to ask. Did what's you up? throw the shield at all in the issue? Um, yeah, he threw the shield. Well, no, 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 no. Actually, he didn't no, come no, back. No, he, he dropped did. the ground. I thought. No, oh, he, he said, didn't. Oh, I can't do that anymore. Did they make a joke out of it? <laughs> no, actually. Well, okay. So they he didn't, didn't throw, throw the shield. The, he, he didn't throw the shield. What he did use it for was to the laser. You know how it comes to a point at the end. That point is a laser. All right, and he used that to cut open a top of a ship. Mm-hmm. But he did. But they did make the comment how he missed his old shield and he missed his old uniform and he's still getting adjusted to his new body. Yep. Now, I will say that I I didn't see it in this issue anywhere, but when they initially announced the redesign of Captain America a few months ago, they said that his diamond shield now is supposed to break into two separate pieces. And like he's like, he can like at any time he can snap it in half and then he can have like one shield on each forearm and just kind of like walk around doing this and hit and yeah, Wonder yeah basically I haven't seen him do that yet yeah he didn't do it in this issue yeah. but they showed that in the redesign uh on one of the major sites a few months back but no yeah but Jack flags back and there's a scene in the cafeteria and I don't know if you've seen the panel or not, but they're all just sitting around having fun and it looks really cool. But it rem- the art reminds me of like an eighties comic. Yes. I don't it know really what it did. is about it. Just line work or something reminds me of like late mid to late eighties comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like 87 ish time frame. Yeah. That's exactly what it looked like too. And it was just that one page. It's like somebody else drew that one page. They had like yeah, seven anchors going or something. Yeah, anchors can change a lot, so you never know. But it wasn't just the inking; it was the it was the, the it way was it was everything. drawn. Everything. Yeah, it, it was. Just, it was a really well done page. Like the color was great on it too. The color made it. Yeah, pretty spot on. But, but yeah, it, 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 it super eighties vibe. So you guys mentioned breaking into a plane, and I believe the the picture of controversy took place on a plane. It did. Yes, it no did. So basically, you know, you know, here it is. It turns out I'm just going to jump to the end. At the end of it, there was Captain America. You know, threw uh, what's his nuts out of the plane. Jack and Flag. Jack Flag. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I don't like him, but oh. he's dead. No, he's okay, dead. okay, hold on. We I'm don't know that. Let me explain this a little better. Is he going to use he, the flag as a? He's going to pull a flag. See, out of his well, this is it. See, well, he, okay, he well, gets he into the plane and he's Baron. and he's yeah and he, yeah. He, okay. Baron is in the plane. And he basically they get into a fight with each other. 
and, and verbal fight? He's a, no, he get, they get in a fist oh. fight and after they bust in and everything with a, and they he runs off the plane and he's going to chase him or whatever. Um, they get into like a fist fight on the plane. Yeah, and like Baron gets the upper hand on Cap. And, yeah, he like, does. He like is about to push him out of the plane or whatever, and then Jack Flag came comes out of nowhere and he's like, "I've been saved by him so many times. It's my turn to be do the save save him for once, and it'll be like a cool story or whatever." Yeah, so, he, was, he was going for the story. So Squirrel Master comes out of left field. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for those that get that reference, but um, it it was crazy because he busts in and everything, and he stops Zemo, and they knock him out and everything, and then Red, you can tell him what happens, and then and after that, you know, Cap grabs him and just throws him out of the plane. They throw and him out just... of the plane, but it doesn't say like I don't. It doesn't show him hit the ground. I'm just gonna assume he hit the ground because they were up yeah. There, there's nine. no splat yeah. or nothing, so he could still be saved. You know, who knows what's going to happen on that end, but you know. And Cap was like, it's just unfortunate that it had to come to this. And he tells him sorry, and then yeah. he throws him out of the plane. And, and the, Jack he, Flag's just sitting there, like, with a shocked look on his face, like, oh, my as God. He, yeah, as he's falling, you know, to, into the skyline. <laughs> it's just like, whoa, Cap did just what? And, yeah. the, you know, and then there's uh, uh, the doctor, you know, still gagged in the front of the plane, and Captain America just looks over at him and says two words. Hell Hydra. <laughs> it was just like I understand why people are upset. Here's what I don't it's, get. It's so random. That's the only reason. Like I'm listening to you guys talk about it. And it's just like Well, you know, we skipped around a little bit. We didn't go over the whole issue in continuity as you read through it. But remember we were talking about before how um, Sinclair gave them that uh, secret meeting to the New York chapter of the Hydra yeah. Society. That was the we see that page pretty much right before he throws him out of the plane, and so we under so it's leading us to believe that young six year old Steve Rogers was brainwashed into Hydra as a child. But we've seen so many flash, even Rick Remender's run right before this, where. He's like, yeah, my mother taught me about the American way and being a true American, and you know, I got her her medicine and all this yeah. stuff. It's just weird. Just, all I think that it's gonna come down to Kobik, though. I honestly think that I'm not. Jo- when I was joking around saying this is Marvel's, Do- I wasn't joking. Like, I truly think that this is Marvel's Doctor Manhattan, and I think she's screwing with stuff, and she, it's who? gonna all. Kobik, the little girl, the cosmic cube thing. I think that's ultimately what it's going to come down to is she did some crazy weird thing that changed that changed stuff. And I think that's ultimately what it's going to result in. And that's why. We'll kind of touch on what you were saying, Nova, about how you're talking about continuity and his mother was teaching him the old way or whatever. There's like this, or I mean, uh, the, the way of America or whatever. Uh, there's this like little panel section that, that it, I mean, it kind of makes sense now that you said that, um, where he like is like flashing out over different like uh, uh, skylines and stuff. And it's like, you know, I always valued the American way or whatever. And, you know, like this is the, what I've always been thought was right. But sometimes you have to go back to old ways. Yeah. And so that's it says it in the book. And she's like at that time, it didn't really make sense. But by that's the end of it, I guess it made here's here's what I OK. So I can understand why people would freak out and whatever. Like, I get it. Cool. Uh, it's It's fine. What I don't agree with and what I 
dislike about it is the people that are freaking out all over Facebook, Twitter, and everything else, and saying that, you know, this is disrespectful to two Jewish creators. How could you turn Cap into a Nazi? That goes back to my earlier thing when I was trying to clarify, and I was like, Hydra's now no longer affiliated with the Nazi party. Correct. Like, I just wanted to make sure, because that kind of stuff kept irking me, because I'm like, uh, you guys are being outraged over nothing. Hydra is not a Nazi thing. Hydra is just now just a villainous team in the Marvel universe. That's all it is. It, it's mm-hmm. not associated with anything else. So for you to have that as your argument is kind of asinine. I'm sorry, but it is. And, and porn expenser with the death threats. Like, yeah. Insane. Like yeah, you little keyboard warriors behind your little Twitter feeds and giving this Nick Spencer death threats because it's a comic arc. Uh, I'm sorry. Like that. It's not cool. Like it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. See, and the other thing too is, you know, we didn't talk too much about it, but there's also the uh, thing where, you know, uh, Hill looks like she's, she's going to be, you know, releasing her chain of command. It's going to Sharon Carter. There's, you know, all sorts of other things being in play. This could also simply be nothing more than um, uh, Captain America going undercover. Yeah, maybe he's a yeah, double he's double like, agent. You don't know. Like, literally, yeah. you guys just mentioned he became young again. So this mm-hmm. shit, like, it, sorry, it doesn't stick. Nothing sticks. Oh. Like, come on. He just regained yeah. his youth and everything. What's interesting, though, is that right now, that same Steve Rogers was leading Uncanny Avengers. And in the most recent Uncanny Avengers, which came out a week before this, he was still on the team doing things, and he was looking for Red Skull in it, and that was the whole mission of the group. Yeah, I I, I don't... I mean, I don't know. It is what it is. Like, you know, I'm interested to see where it goes. I saw some uh, some other things, though, too. Like, I saw a picture. I don't know if it was fan-made or what it was. But it looks like it was Cable holding Cap's shield, oh, which is weird. That would be weird. He'd be the leader, I guess, of the Uncanny Avengers. But, yeah, I'm saying give the arc a chance, everyone. Don't freak out and start making death threats to Nick Spencer. Give yeah, give, give the guy a chance to tell his story. It's part of an overall arc. If you don't like the arc and you feel like he ruined the character, then just don't read it. And that's exactly. fine. That's your that's your prerogative. You don't have to read it if you don't want to. That's fine. I'm sure Nick. Instead of your keyboard. Yeah, I'm sure Nick Spencer doesn't care if you don't read it either. It's not going to hurt his feelings. He understands that he made a very big change to a very iconic character. Like, but same thing with Dan Slott and Superior Spider-Man. When that was first announced, I wanted to like just scream. I was like, no. Until I read it, and then after I read it, I went, "Oh, good God, this is good!" Like Dan Slott knew what he was doing. Well, Let's trust. People will go from like Nick Spencer's the fix. Oh my God, it's so good! I can't believe like second printings, third printings, and then he'll do one issue of Captain America. It's like worst writer ever. He's Marvel. I can't believe yeah. Marvel has people smoke crack when while he works. Like, what are you, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know. But, but all in all, chance. I can say with this issue. I wasn't exactly pleased with the entire storyline. It was interesting. There were parts of it I did like. Other parts of it, just kind of like, eh, well, whatever. I didn't like the art all that much. But it's something that I will, of course, I'll read the next issue just to see what's going to continue on with the, you know, the storyline. But it's, it's got the potential to be really great or it's going to really suck. It's going to be one of those two. 
I trust that Marvel knows what they're doing for the most part. <laughs> and uh, they said that this has been in play now for over a year. Like Nick Spencer's and the team, they've, they, this has been in the works now for over a year. This isn't something that he just decided a month ago, Hey, I'm going to write this and it's going to be cool. Like, they have it planned out. You have to trust in the writers and the creators and what they're doing and allow them to play it out and see how it goes, you know? But you know what? How many Marvel arcs have turned out to be duds? Well, that's with any company. <laughs> but, I mean, usually, though, when they make massive changes like this, they're usually really good, though. Like when Cap supposedly died with Civil War. That was a really good arc. Superior Spider-Man really good arc um you know the watcher <laughs> the the one thing combo <laughs> breaker yeah yeah the death of wolverine slot, right? death of wolverine was eh but Listen, you guys, know i just got this in issue number two page one panel one captain he says america, just kidding captain america wakes up in a sweaty dream in his bed sweating and gasping he had a, it was a nightmare what do you know? Yeah. Spencer rewrote it the day after. <laughs> the day after. And he's old again, of course. Yes. Yeah, it was, all a, it was all a dream. It was all a dream. It was an old man's senile dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. All right. Well, I think it's time to wrap this up and move on to something new. So, guys, you've heard it. The music is played. We're on part two of Mad Libs. And I've continued the story. So, I mean, if you didn't hear the first part of it, the Red Skull was foiled. No! Don't say it's not so. It's true. He was foiled by the Great Lakes Avengers. (laughs) Of all the teams to foil the the plans. (laughs) Okay. And, uh, you know, evil guys think they had what was coming to them, and they got them, okay? But now, here's the continuation of Mad Libs 1 with part 2 of Mad Libs. Cool. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. ready. You got all of our responses that you gave us? I got all the responses, I got you all the scripts, and we're going to hear something. uh, We'll see what you got, okay? So, part 2. Back at the Great Lakes Avengers headquarters, Connor McCloud's sword man is seen typing on a giant computer surrounded by vast technology. It appears that our fellow comrades have stopped the likes of the Red Skull. This seems to be quite the end. Wait, what's this? It appears Hipsters United has landed on Saturn. I must notify those around the area that my magical hungry zombie... As Connor McCloud's swordsman makes his call... Blue-footed booby woman bursts through the wall. What is the problem here? Why did you call? Is the microwave on the loose again in Mos Eisley? No, but it appears as though Hipster United is at it again. Do you remember the last time when they unleashed the transplant virus? It nearly wiped away half of the population within hours in an empty warehouse. We don't have much time to spare. Let's hop on the conveyor belt. It can get us there to stop those lost souls by the squeaky of Moe's Tavern. Let's go! Connor McLeod, swordsman, and blue-footed booby woman take the conveyor belt 
to the scene of the break-in. They find the group of villains with a set of handcuffs in their hand. It appears they have acquired what they were looking for, but the heroes are clueless as to why. We villains are too smart for the likes of you two. You are outmatched. Go on and leave or be warned. We will not be kind. We have the handcuffs and now there is no chance for the rest of the world. This is where you are wrong. See, among my people, we learn to stick together. We do well for one another in any way possible. We don't know what your plans are, but you seem to be threatening the world and my people. I'll use my rubber hose power to put an end to this mess. Blue-footed booby woman, make sure they don't escape. Connor McLeod, swordsman, positions himself to use his terrific rubber hose power. A cloud of smoke starts to fill the room as the heroes get lost in the smog. As the area clears, we see our heroes being dragged away unconscious. What will happen to our heroes? Find out next time on Mad Libs. Tap, tap, I could just picture... You know how comics have different font sizes. Yours is just always huge. <laughs> yeah. Huge, just like overlapping panels and stuff. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love the French accent you had there going. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, he's trying to make himself sound more Canadian. <laughs> well, the one thing that I, I kind of wanted to add it in, but I wanted to do it for verbatim. You know, Rusty made the script, so just no, the name of my villain wasn't even mentioned. The Mighty Mustache. Would you just make the accent all the more clear? But, yeah. All right, so so it's everyone... part of it though. That's the thing. I'm making you create a character that you've already thought I, of. I dived in. I dove balls deep right for right in. Yeah. That you did. That you did. Now, okay. So for our listeners, Rusty, what was it that we all picked again? So, out of all this nonsense. You know, the Great Lakes Avengers, that, that was picked a long ago. Um, I forgot who did it, though. But Connor McCloud Swordsman is picked by none other than the Red Skull. And is that, is, is what is that, High, Highlander? Yeah, Highlander. 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 Come on. Yeah. There can only be one. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery. Okay. And, you know, but beyond that, the Hipsters United group was picked out by Nova. Now, Nova, why'd you pick Hipsters United? Because they're villains. I don't they're know. the villains! <laughs> One hipster causes enough trouble. If they unite and they're out there for, you know, like the mighty mustache just running around with the other hipsters, I don't know. It seems like they could be trouble. Yeah. Yeah. No but they landed on Saturn, of all places. And that was picked by Tap. Yeah. Saturn. Yeah. Saturn, I mean, Saturn's the coolest <laughs> planet, though, right? Exactly. It's got the rings, baby. It's got the ring, man. Like, growing up, I always saw the picture of it, and I was like, that's the planet. All right, now, who... If I ever went to another planet, I'm moving to Saturn. Now, for the Mad Libs, who picked Microwave? <laughs> that wasn't me. I don't know. That was me. That was, was you. Uh... Okay. And I was the one that uh, came up with the city of Moss Eisley, and I like that line. What is the problem here? Why did you call? Is a microwave on the loose again in Moss Eisley? <laughs> I could see a villain being called the microwave. He'd be like Modoc, but just in the form of a microwave. It could be a Liefeld character. I have no feet. You don't have to worry. I'm going to radiate you with my million pouches. 
It's like a guy with a bunch of pouches, but then he opens up his chest right. and he microwaves everybody. Yeah, and there's there's pouches in the microwave so he can have multiple things being microwaved at the same time. Oh my god. Including all his different hot pockets. Yeah. <laughs> and there could be um he could put utensils in there sometimes if he really wants to uh cause a bang. Yeah, or CDs. You Create know what? A lightning show. I was going to say that Connor McLeod swordsman Kind of sounds like uh, Michonne because they have a magical, oh, hungry zombie. I wrote Michonne's sword as w- the object originally. And then you asked for an object that makes noise. And I put hungry zombie. I was like, no, that's too. <laughs> no, I'm going to I'm going to change the change. And I'll just go with uh, Connor McLeod's sword. But that's what I originally typed out to you was Michonne. Oh, man. And uh, Nova's got you guys uh, riding on a conveyor belt. Sweet. You made it to Saturn on a conveyor belt somehow. That is well, epic. I tell you, when, you know, at, probably like at the end of the year, we need to put all this together into one big podcast. <laughs> it just here's the whole story. Yeah, it might make a lot more sense then. Yeah, a little bit, little by little bit, you're getting it uh, piece by piece. Oh. And it'll Very be so cool. good. One of you letters and and artists are going to make it into a comic, <laughs> right? I don't know if we can use Connor McCloud's swordsman, but uh, we'll see. We can definitely use the blue-footed booby woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh. we'll, we'll, we'll just knock an N off of Connor. There you go. <laughs> oh well. Well. I guess uh, that's going to conclude our segment of uh, Mad Libs. And uh, let's see what's going on next. I'll use my rubber hose power. (laughs) Welcome to Battle of the Geeks, that sparking conglomeration portion of our show where I read challenge our three contestants. Who most of the time should, but don't always know the answers to all things comic geek related. Let's start Battle of the Geek, shall we? And welcome our guests, Rusty, Nova, and Tap. Woo! Hello, ding, ding, ding. Welcome, guys. But this always makes me feel like I should read more comics. It should, you know, especially uh, one in particular. But uh, I don't think we need to mention it. Invincible <laughs> name at all. Um, <laughs> But you know, guys, you know what is a contest without a prize worthy to fight for? So over the course of this year, you three will be given a series of questions, tasks, and challenges for points. Whoever tallies up the most points by December thirty first will win the ultimate prize. Does anybody remember what the ultimate prize was? Uh, Amazing Spider Man three hundred, I believe. Yes, that That, is correct. Damn Venom issue. Amazing. (laughs) Well, as it stands, our current points are. Tap in the lead with five points. Woo. Nova has two. And Rusty mm-hmm. bringing up the lead with the rear with one point. <laughs> Woo! One point! Yeah, this one is, point. Uh, I'm not liking that because it's going to be a deja vu of the um, the last uh, late thing. show contest where he just better watch out. zoomed past everyone with that absurd 70-point <laughs> yeah. story. Well... Oh, you know, and we always, I keep offering you guys additional points. You know, we did the sound clip. Nobody found it. Tried to do the cosplay. Nobody posted. Well, you know what? Let's see what we can do today for points, guys. So the question is, are you three geek enough? I sure I hope, hope so. so. Are you ready I to hope. start? 
Battle All of right. the Geeks! Let's do this. All right. Well, first thing I need out of here is a pin. Oh. Okay, guys. So question one worth one point. This famous comic book artist is credited for many things within the comic industry, including the theft of 25 cars and two trucks. He's an artist? Yes. This famous comic book artist is credited for many things within the comic industry, including the theft of 25 cars and two trucks. Oh. Um, what? That's, that's, I know, right? <laughs> I'm like trying to like bring it in still. I'm like, who? Yes. Are they a recent artist or an old artist? Do they still do stuff? That's what I just want to know. Are they still do stuff? Hmm. Oh, can we know that? I don't know if I want to tell you that or not. Um, I will give you one clue. Okay. He's also a notable Houdini-style magician. Magician. Known for terrible clue. That's a terrible clue, really. (laughs) (laughs) I thought every. Now I know this was Chris Claremont, a magician, right? No, he was an amateur. He was a writer. Uh, he was a writer, but as a joke. But this artist was also a Houdini enthusiast. You know, he put on shows involving live burials and stuff like that. Crazy. This guy is live so talented. He, yeah, and not only was he he liked to steal cars and trucks and do magic, but he also had his own rock band, which once supported Bill Haley in the comments. You all know Bill Haley in the comments. Who yeah. is this? So it's this... from the fifties or sixties. Um, not it's not Jack, is it? Not Jack Kirby. Kirby. <laughs> not Jack Kirby. All right. So I heard I heard uh, Rusty give out an answer. What about oh. you, Tap? You've been really silent back there. My dog's the barking. <laughs> Your dog knows the answer. He's trying to tell you, Tap. It's old. That's that's what you got to think. It's old. And you all know the name. And there's somebody out there listening Steve to this Ditko? podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, what, what, what did you say? Steve Ditko. Ooh, getting warm. Oh. What? Oh no. All right. I heard Nova give one. Okay, tap. It's all on you. Uh, let's hear. Let's hear. Mean... Um. Uh. I don't know. It sounds like Gone in 60 Seconds, Nicholas Cage style. Um. One. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard of a little-known artist by the? name of jim steranko oh my god that seems right up his alley yes he was he could see him in a rock band yes he was in a rock band backed up bill hill in the comments he's um noted for in 1956 being arrested for the theft of 25 cars and two trucks he was a fire eater and he he was an all-around interesting kind of guy Sounds like a wow. badass. Yeah, it's the kind of guy all the party with, you know? <laughs> exactly, right? So, you know, since we're on the subject of Marvel artists, here is your uh, next question. Worth one point. This Marvel artist turned his hand to pornographic cartoons, such as explicit versions of Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and a Disneyland orgy. He also did a Randy version of Flash Gordon, brilliantly titled Flasher Gordon, and a comic book called Gang Bang. In, in 2012, Disney bought Marvel, presumably forgetting all about this former artist for playing around with their princesses. 
Now, this troubled but seminal Marvel artist may be reverted for his design of Daredevil's signature red costume. What? Yeah. We all know Daredevil's red costume. Yeah. I know a bunch of Daredevil writers. I can't think of actual artists, though. Oh, my God. Yeah. And like I say, he like, liked his... And when he left, and when yep, and when he left Marvel, he decided to do some Disney porn. <laughs> I have no idea on this I one. So this one's grab got my me. phone right now. Google I know, it. right? I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, more oh, interested. I'm in like looking it. down, like, what the hell? Who would do this? I don't know. I'm completely clueless. I have no idea. Red costume. Red costume. The red costume is like the only. Hint. That's, that should be. A and I'm trying to think. The problem is. I know that that should be like that, but I'm too focused on, like, <laughs> what? Yes. All right. Who changed the red? The red costume changed in issue what? Like five? Well, no. It was early. It was really yeah, it was early. Er- yeah, it was early. All right. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't think I don't you guys. Know. It sounds like you guys no. aren't going to get this one. Who's no, the there's... original Daredevil artist? That's a good hint too. Yeah, that's the thing I don't know. I don't remember. Like I said, I know a lot of writers. I can't think of artists, though. Yeah. The only ones I think of when I think of Daredevil is Frank Miller, but I, it's not Frank Miller. No. no. All right. Well, guys, the artist, the Marvel artist is Wally Wood. Oh, and yeah, no clue. Yeah, you got me on that one. Oh, okay. Well, that's <laughs> one of those obscured facts that, you know, wasn't quite sure, but all right, we'll move on. What an appropriate name. I'll never yes, forget Wally, it <laughs> Wally Wood. Wally Wood. <laughs> All right, so question three, worth one point. I think somebody might be able to get this one. So, Barack Obama famously appeared on the cover of... Amazing Fantasy Spider-Man. 15. Uh-huh, and number 583. But yes, guess Spider-Man. what, guys? He wasn't the only first president to be featured in Marvel Universe. While George W. Bush and Jimmy Carter have also shown up yeah. in the Marvel Universe... The most shocking appearance has to be by Richard Nixon in Captain America number 175, published a month before Nixon resigned over the Watergate scandal. Now, do any of you have a guess on what that storyline involved in Captain America issue number 175? Uh, Vietnam. No. All right. Next, Tapper Nova. Call recording. No. <laughs> Pass. You really he want to pass? He's from Canada. He's like, why I do I no, care? I have literally no. I have negative idea of as to what it is. Do you know who Richard Nixon is, though? Right? Yeah, I know, but I just this is like Marvel mixed with U.S. politics, and it's just it's so beyond me. I don't. I don't well, I don't. oh my goodness, guys! I guess I'm gonna have to tone it down a notch in some of these questions. Oh, right. so <laughs> all right. So I, I feel this like is modern. Was, I remember that. Come on, this is Nixon. It's not that long ago. Yeah, you gotta realize he, You gotta realize he was only like 20, 30 something back then, right? Uh, okay. So you gotta, you gotta, yeah, So you know, a lot of this stuff is Marvel. You know, stuff that we, people really should be knowing because it's just cool stuff to talk with at the bar. Because you know, in Captain America issue number one seventy five. Like I said, being published a month before Nixon resigned over the Watergate scandal. In that storyline, Captain America is trying to smoke out a corrupt top government official, the president, who's hatching an evil plan to enslave the entire country. 
But although it was never said, it was implied that the president was Nixon. Wow. Yes. Can you believe that? That's I mean, crazy. The, the, yeah, it's like, whoa. <laughs> can we get a Canada question now? All right. How about, <laughs> how about we'll, we'll dip into the legal realms of things. Okay. So Marvel Comics held this trademark until 1996, when due to the overwhelming popularity of it, they realized the trademark was also impossible to enforce. What trademark did they have? Uh, comic? No, not letter M. Not big for comic. I could say it was held until 1996. I've heard this story before. I know, like, this is like, no, I've heard this. I just can't remember what it, it's a word. I, I, I could tell you where you've heard it. Where have we I posted, heard it? We posted this as a fact in Twitter months ago. Yeah. Um. Marvel. The word Marvel. Nope. Wasn't the word Zombie? Marvel. Yes. Yeah. Zombie. That is Zombie. it. All right. Rusty got one point. Oh, I got a point. <laughs> All right. So our last question for the evening. Worth one point. All right. Superman 2 is the 1980 <laughs> sequel to the 1970. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, let's go back. Let's go back 30 years at, at the latest and talk about trivia. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk well, about Rusty's something that I have no idea. Yeah, Rusty's never even seen these. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> All right, so Superman 2 in the 19, is the 1980 sequel to the 1978 feature film Superman. It's the only Superman film to be held by two directors. Uh, for this reason, the film is surrounded with controversy since the original director had completed it by an estimated roughly 75% of the movie in 1977 before being taken off the project. Now, many of the scenes shot by the second director in 1979 are refilmed. Who was the director that very much filmed that whole movie and then got canned? Was it Richard Donner? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. I knew he did the first one, and he was involved with the second. Because I'm going to tell you, if if you've never seen both Supermans, you need to watch them. You watch Superman 1, then you watch the Superman 2 that was released in the theater. And it's like, okay, good movie. Yeah, whatever. Uh-huh. That's nice. Gauntlet scene, though. But, just... yeah. But if you watch the Richard Donner um, remake of it, the, 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 they call it the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2, the movie is brilliant. It blends in everything from the first movie. It makes everything make sense. And you just, it's a completely different, it's like watching two completely separate movies. Yep. It is. It's amazing. Fun fact: uh, Jeff Johns actually worked on Superman one and two with Donner. Mm-hmm. I thought I tossed it in there. Did yeah. he really? Yep. How old is he? Um, I think he was. It was like early, and he was like interning for him. But yeah. still, like so, Jeff yeah. Johns, I thought I thought Jeff Johns is like slightly older than me. Like I didn't think he was. Yeah, I was about to say I didn't think that he was that old too. I thought he would maybe be in like his early thirties. Yeah. No. Well, guys, mid to late 30s. All right, guys, I mentioned before that not only will you be given a series of questions, but tasks and challenges as well. The task for this contest is simple. The first person on Twitter to get a famous actress from TV or movies to answer the simple question, who is your favorite superhero, will win two extra points. So you guys up for that challenge? Most definitely. 
like I say, that's all you got to do is just get a famous actress to let us know who their favorite superhero is. Well, that's it, folks, for Battle of the Geeks. Tune in regularly for more exciting questions and challenges with the opportunity for you, the listener, to win a Four Guys in a Comic prize pack loaded with all sorts of great stuff. Hey everyone, this is Tap, and for this week's issue of Pros and Cons, we're going to discuss something near and dear to my heart, and more than likely yours as well, and that is comic book movies and TV shows. Now, obviously a big pro of this is whoever thought in our lifetimes that we would ever say, hey, this week I'm going to tune in and watch The Flash, or Supergirl, or, you know... Arrow, or whatever the case may be. Whoever thought that they can say every other month, I'm going to go see the X-Men on the big screen, or I'm going to go see Captain America, or Iron Man, or Superman, or Batman, or whatever. Like, growing up as a kid in the 80s, I never, ever even would have thought that that was a possibility. I never would have said to myself, you know, hey, I can't wait to tune into The Flash on Tuesday. Like, it it just never would have happened. So I have to say, major pro here, it's a wonderful time to be alive as a comic book fan. You know, to see this stuff come to life and to see the special effects. I mean, you know, if they would have tried to have done this back in the 80s, which to an extent they did, you know, the special effects and even some of the stuff in the 90s is nowhere near where it is today. I think today with the special effects and everything else that they're able to do, it makes it such a awesome and amazing experience. Now, going along with that, one of the cons is that they sometimes take our favorite heroes and storylines and, well, frankly, they murder them, okay? They, they they change them. They adapt them into Hollywood's vision of what's good and what's out there rather than, you know, the comic fan's opinion of what's good and what should be out there. Instead, like I said, you're, you're, you're getting the Hollywood watered-down version of it, okay? Sometimes it still can be entertaining. Other times, not so much. Take, for example, the Fantastic Four movies. Basically, every single one that's ever been created, including the Roger Corman one from, like, 93, all right? There hasn't really been a good Fantastic Four movie. Some of them have been enjoyable. Like, I can kick back and eat some popcorn and watch it and still enjoy myself, but would I say it's a great movie or even a good movie? Mm, probably not. Now, there's also been some amazing interpretations, like The Watchmen, okay? The Watchmen is the one that has been panel for panel, practically, from comic to screen, just wonderful fantastic okay but that's about it um you know you got marvel studios right now taking over and they're kicking ass i mean i'm sorry everything marvel studios has done i have greatly enjoyed the thor movies they're not my favorites but guess what i enjoyed them they're a fun popcorn flick that i can forget about reality for two hours that's great batman v superman it was okay. I, I Once again, I can enjoy it. And the reason why is because after seeing Spider-Man 2 in the theaters, you know, the Tobey Maguire series, and then the X-Men, especially the X-Men. The X-Men is what really kind of did it for me, come to think of it. I said to myself, you know, I have to accept that movie-verse and comic-verse are two completely different things. You know, it's like Earth 1 and Earth 2. It's two completely different things. And so I think as a comic fan, that is something that a lot of us 
need to understand, and I don't know if everyone always does. Because so many times when movies come out, I hear people just constantly bashing about, well, they screwed up this, or they screwed up that. From a comic book perspective, yes, they did. I agree. I'm not disagreeing. However, the one thing that I will say is that we need to understand that they're two completely different universes, okay? As soon as we can, as comic fans, accept that and kind of move on and just go to a movie to be entertained for two hours and to eat popcorn and forget about life for a little bit, that is when I think we'll be able to really, truly start appreciating the movies for more than what they are. Now, some of them, like I said before, could be made better. I'm not disagreeing. There's definitely some that... that could have been done better. Better storytelling. Better movies in general. Okay, not even a superhero movie. Just a better movie in general it could have been. Uh, so, yeah, you know, that's kind of a con when it comes to these movies. Um, but I will say part of a pro is that it's created this new culture for all of us. You know, I grew up reading comic books. Not all of us did, though. Some of us have just gotten into comic books within the last five years. Maybe even ten years. Okay. So when that happens, it happened because of the movies. So some old school fans might be like, oh, screw the movies. And you can bash on them all you want. That's your prerogative. But the bottom line is if it wasn't for those movies and if it wasn't for, you know, these these new up-and-coming fans or this new generation of fans, so to speak, we wouldn't have what we have today, all right? The, the ability to have comic book podcasts, the ability to, you know, have comicsology digital comics you know comic book store still around like i don't think it would be nearly as big if it wasn't for the movies so for in that perspective that's a pro i thank you for those movies good bad or otherwise because you're bringing in new fans into it you know when i was a kid reading comic books you kind of got made fun of you weren't the cool kid because you read comics all right well, now my son is going to school and he's reading comics and he goes to school proudly wearing his Flash shirt, his Spider-Man shirts, his Batman shirts, whatever. And everybody's like, hey, he's the cool kid. He's got Flash and Batman. Uh, like, people enjoy it now. And people, you know, our kids can go to school and not be made fun of. There's kids that could potentially be listening to this right now and know exactly what I'm talking about. You can go to school and not be made fun of. And I feel like a big part of that culture shift is thanks to the movies. I feel like if it wasn't for the movies and it wasn't for these studios that said, hey, we have an idea. Let's try to bring back superhero movies. You know, then we probably wouldn't have the the culture that we have today. And so for that, I thank you, movies. I thank you, studios. Because I'm able to do what I love doing now, which is podcasting and talking to all of you and going to conventions and doing a bunch of cool stuff that I never thought I'd be able to do as a kid. That's for damn sure. Uh... So for that, it's awesome. And, you know, another pro here for me, it looks like the movies aren't fading out anytime soon. I know uh, a year or so ago, I think it was, might have been Steven Spielberg, I might be wrong on this, so don't quote me, but he said that uh, comic book movies are going to go the way of the Western, and they're just going to fade out, and nobody's going to care anymore. Well, I can tell you right now, comic book movies are going strong, and I have a feeling they're going to be going strong for a good another 10 plus years. And if I can get 25 to 30 years of my life and be able to see a comic book movie four times a year in the theaters and be able to enjoy life, I'm all for it. If I can sit down with my kid and watch The Flash every week, I'm all for it. I can't complain, so thank you all again, and stay tuned for our next segment. (laughs) 
right, guys, it's time to get our bag, our mailbag, and dig into it, see what people have been asking us this week. The first question I got was from one of our uh, good fans, and I think Red and Rusty may know this fellow, but goes by the name of TK. Okay. So he had, uh, it's kind of hard to phrase this question, but he basically asked, what happened, what was the, the reason for certain credits being put on comics later than they should be uh so you know whenever people think about marvel back in back in their heyday uh, when they were first starting out it's mostly stanley this stanley that or at least it was Mm -hmm. so he basically wanted to know you know what happened that it suddenly changed and all of a sudden everyone's you know we've got the king kirby and he's getting a lot of credit as well uh probably still not as much as he should but yeah um he specifically asked about Bill Finger as well, because if for those of you listening that don't know, uh, Bill Finger actually didn't get credited for Batman for quite a long time. Uh, and he worked with Bob Kane. He was writing Batman as well. But to my knowledge, I think Bob Kane had struck a deal uh, with DC during the time when Bill Finger was away on vacation or his, his wife was sick or something. So, you know, Bill Finger came back and all of a sudden... It was just he he wasn't getting the credits he deserved, but that's recently changed. If you guys saw Batman versus Superman, his name was uh, in the in the intro credits, and yeah, every reprint of you know the old Detective Comic Golden Age stuff and Batman, he's his name's on there too. So uh, that's changed. Another big one was um, the the two gentlemen who made Superman, uh, Joe Shuster and Jerry Siegel. Yeah, uh, their story's crazy because. I think it was, I think it was Jerry who, at, there was a point where he was basically working as like, a, I, I don't want to say, I'll, basically like a janitor, uh, just trying to get by and, you know, get that bread home every day. And it, it really sucks because they, you know, there wasn't that, the whole creator, uh, creator stuff that's going on now where the writers and artists are really famous. We all know and love them. It was just Superman and DC Comics, and that was it. Yeah, and Red, I don't know if you want to shed some yeah, light on... Yeah, from now, the way I look at the spin of, the, of this is, back in the day, it was basically, this is your DC or your Marvel comic, uh, or whichever company, Timely Comics, whatever it is. This is the comic, this is our hero that's involved with it. People really didn't care too much who the artists and writers were. And the companies themselves, for instance, like DC, they didn't want to really put out, you know, fill up page uh, spots on the cover or anywhere else with all this extra information of who the pencil, the writer, the inker, you know, all this other information, unless it was going to help them promote sales. You know, everybody was like, oh, it's a Stan Lee. Well, let's let me pick it up because it has a it says the word Stan Lee on the front. Or it has a picture of Stan Lee or whatever it might be. And so for them, it was more publicity. If they could put a big name that was already well-known and established, yeah, they'll put it on there. But for them, if it was a name that didn't need to be put on there, they didn't. It wasn't until later when artists and writers wanted to get the credit they deserved. That's when I think, you know, in the 70s, that really started to come out. You know, they wanted to be recognized for their efforts and their hard work. So... To me, that is my understanding and my spin on it. I don't know what you think uh, over there, Rusty. Well, you know what? Whenever I'm thinking of, you know, 
credit where credit's due. I mean, you have to kind of bring up, and I know everyone hates to bring him up, but Rob Liefeld with Deadpool. Mm-hmm. I mean, whenever Deadpool was created, it was like, oh, it's Rob Liefeld, Rob Liefeld. But everyone forgets about Fabian Nitieza, you know what I mean? Yeah. He, he just kind of gets pushed aside. But it wasn't until recently that a lot more pre- people are bringing up, uh, bringing him back up. Fabian, was, I mean, he was the writer for it. He came up with the idea of the character, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it's it's one of those things where, like, they they bring it up later on, and it's kind of a money thing. I like you were saying, it's kind of a money thing. And they're going to put the biggest name behind it at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, we think about it this way, too, even. Uh, with uh, You hear X-Men. Uh, who are the two people you think of right away, when you comic creator-wise, when you hear X-Men? Claremont. Mm-hmm. Okay, and who else? There's a, there's a few artists I think of. Um, Jim Lee. Jim Lee, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess, yeah Jim Lee. I guess Stan, uh, Stan as well. Stan. Yeah, Jim Lee. Yeah. John Byrne, Neil but, Adams, but yeah. You know what I mean? But it's, it's number one, you go, usually you go straight to like someone like Claremont or Jim yeah. Lee for mm-hmm. X-Men, you know what I mean? And um, But, I mean, they didn't create it. It's the same yeah. thing. It's like the money thing, you know? Well, going back <laughs> to... Going back to the Stan Lee thing you were saying, Red, what's actually crazy is he had, at one point, three assistants who were writing the actual comics, like the dialogue, rather. He was still doing the Marvel method. Mm -hmm. Um, They were writing the actual dialogue, and it was still being credited completely as Stan. And, you know, you had guys like even Denny O'Neill. I'm sure you guys know who that is. Mm -hmm. He was actually one of Stan Lee's assistants, and his name was never on a cover, but he was the one doing the dialogue and stuff, channeling his uh, inner Stan Lee. Mm -hmm. And of course, think about it too. Within the the '70s, you know, just like what you're saying with the Stan Lee, you know, you had on these Marvel comics uh, people ride doing the writing, the stories, the everything. So, but people didn't know who they were, and so Marvel got worked around it by putting on the cover. And I'm sure you've all seen these covers many times over. Uh, you know, X-Men, pre- pre- uh, Stan Lee presents yeah. Yeah. the X-Men. They throw in that word presents to give that misconception that he was the one who's the creative person behind it. Yeah. it when it's not the true fact. It's just that he's presenting to you. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. And I think the biggest one he also mentioned to talk, uh, he want to hear our opinions on this, is of course Jack Kirby, who... If you don't know what the Marvel method is by now, it's basically the writer gives a synopsis, like a paragraph or two or three of what the issue's about. Artist draws it all out, and then, you know, dialogues are filled out and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was basically this, like, three-paragraph synopsis, and then Jack Kirby was designing all this stuff and um, doing, what, he's, like, eight pages a day that um, he, yeah. was, he was a madman yeah, in a good way. And then, yeah, and then dialogue boxes were filled in. And for a long time, Jack Kirby was just sort of swept under the rug. And those that aren't familiar with the Marvel way, think about this. You know, when you look at the Silver Age, you know, how much of all those stories had real true continuity in it? A lot of it was just single, corny stories. And that's the reason why, because the Marvel way was like, all right, guys, here is my idea real quick for issue number 23. Go ahead and make it happen. Draw it out. So the guy would draw it out, not really understanding. He just had a rough idea, throw it to the next guy who was like, okay, let me put some words in here. And, okay, we got an issue ready. Let's publish it out. Okay, you know. Yeah. And it, oh, man, but it worked, though, which is weird. Yeah, it, it is weird. It, it, it's weird how it worked. Yeah. 
But like I say, sometimes the continuity wasn't there. You'd be reading something and it's like, wait a minute, this isn't right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do another real quick question. This is sort of, I guess there's a standard answer for it, but you can also sort of make an opinion about it, um, what you would make your own ranges out of. Um, The difference, how do we distinguish individually uh, the difference between gold and silver bronze and modern age i don't know how you guys I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys talk about how i guess maybe the years or you know events that separate them for you yeah definitely um yeah, go I ahead and start with, it out yeah okay yeah uh we, you know with golden age i think of it until like i think of marvel as the standard sorry but until the end of the golden age from anything in the 30s you know 20s whatever until about 1963 or so, you know, 64, when you started getting, like, Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and Amazing Fantasy, you know, different things like that. Um, And then I think of Silver Age only until maybe 1970, 1971, to where you finally get, like, an emerging of, you know, later 100 issues even of, like, you know, we had uh, uh, X-Men, uh spider-man uh we started seeing more of the cosmic universe and such uh, it started getting expanded and then from 1970 71 until i'm not even that was the longest gap i think for the bronze age where it went all the way until like maybe 90 91 whenever uh, we started seeing you know uh things emerging like infinity gauntlet and such and merging into you know Legends. executioner song image everything else yeah exactly um, and I think that that it's still like I feel like from ninety one until two thousand two ish two thousand three ish is its own age. And now I still think of everything beyond two thousand three and up, like of the modern age. Uh, I just don't know what to call from ninety to like yeah. two thousand two well, two thousand three. The yeah, holographic then, age. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> now you 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 hit a lot of it right on the head. Um, now. Golden Age is considered pre nineteen sixty three. It was basically nineteen forty. Well, well, actually, let me. Yeah, nineteen forty one to sixty three is considered Golden Age. Pre nineteen forty one is considered Platinum Age. So you got Platinum Age up to nineteen forty one. Forty one to sixty three. That's your Silver Age. Then from sixty three to nineteen seventy. I'm sorry, sixty three to nineteen seventy is your Silver Age. That's what I meant to say. All right, so you have sixty three. Going to 1970, and those issues in your Silver Age are typically a little bit bigger in dimensions. That's why you have special Silver Age size um, bags and boards. Now, Bronze Age covers 1970 to 1985. That's the exact yeah. time frame that uh, the comic industry um, labels that as well. Yeah. So, so from 1985 to now is considered current. But I agree with you completely, Rusty. We need to have a new category because I looked at the at the that current age to me is from 1985 to about 2005 2010 to me in the last five six years we've we've seen a complete change in the comic industry uh, just a and, and need, we need a new label in there because you also look at um the sales that's that's one way i look at it you know for obviously platinum age none of us are going to afford to buy a platinum age comic um, Golden Age is pretty pricey. You can pick up a point, you know, a one point three 
for about a thousand dollars, depending on the the comic. Still pricey. Well, Silver Age, because of the cinematic Marvel universe, Silver Age has just boomed in sales. It is just those those first appearances. Majority of all first appearances come from the Silver Age. Now those prices have just skyrocketed out of the roof. Now let's look at Bronze Age. Bronze Age has been typically always found in the dollar bin. It was a bad age in comics. They put out the worst quality of stories for the most part. And almost all Bronze Age was found in the dollar bins up until the Marvel Cinematic Universe hit. Once that hit, all of a sudden some of these first appearances started making those um, Bronze Age go up in value. And I would tell any listener right now, if you're in a dollar bin area and you see Bronze Age, pick it up. I don't care what it is, pick it up because that is going to be the new Silver Age. Mm-hmm. And that is some so some of your Bronze Age is now getting pricey in the hundred dollar marks for some issues, which leads me into the current age from 1985 to current. If you look at some of those 85 comics, particularly let's say like Amazing Spider-Man, you look at 1985 comic. How many years ago is that now? 31 years ago. So that being said, a Think of that. Thirty current age started thirty-one years ago. Man, those issues now that are also in the quarter fifty-cent dollar bins from nineteen eighty-five are worth picking up now. Yeah. So it's I'm going like, yeah. like think about like first appearance of Venom, first appearance of Deadpool. Yeah. Like those are all like three hundred plus now. You know, yeah. first Harley Quinn is ridiculous. If you get a graded like nine point eight, nine point nine, mm-hmm. it'd be upwards of like eight hundred dollars now, and it's like what? Deadpool is yeah, yeah. Deadpool so, like a nine point eight for Deadpool goes anywhere from three hundred to four hundred, but some people will ask for upwards of like seven hundred dollars. Yes, like wow, why? Yes. <laughs> so. So to talk so I hopefully that answers our uh, listeners' question in regards to the time periods. So platinum before 1941, silver from I mean uh, golden age 41 to 63, silver from 63 to 70, and bronze age 1970 to 1985, and after that is current. And there you go. <laughs> there you have it. I'll get off my soapbox now. Red soapbox. <laughs> Red soapbox. Hey, that could be a new segment. <laughs> I guess it could be called the gimmick age to some degree because that was like the 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 foil covers and you know all that crazy stuff going on. The X Men breaking one... backs and yeah, deaths. Yeah, X Men number one selling like three million copies. Uh-huh. X Force becoming the most sold comic book of all yeah, time. Yeah. And, and you're right, it was a gimmick period because it wasn't only those uh, holographic covers, but how many of those things had uh, foil-wrapped uh, trading cards and stuff inside yeah. of it and all these other little gimmicks? Poly bags, everything yeah. else. Well, yeah. we still got poly bags now. That it's making yeah. a comeback. Look at yeah, Sex Criminals true. and DC Comics. Yeah. They're polybagging again. But see, it's hard, it's hard to call it the gimmick age too because I think eighty five or eighty six was when was when Watchmen started. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, then yep. there was Dark Knight Returns and and Vertigo popping up. So X Factor, everything else. They're gonna man. have to call it something like the Crow Age or something. I don't know. Like I'm no, sure. no. Honest, if if it, if it was holographic me, age, <laughs> if it was me, what I would personally do. You have Platinum Age, you have uh, Golden Age, you have Silver Age, you have Bronze Age. How about calling copper? Exactly. Copper, the yeah. copper age. Yeah. Then what do you do? Nickel age. Let's, let's get that going. Let's get that going, guys. We'll start the petition for the copper age. 
get on Twitter, get on Facebook, just start hashtagging Copper Age of Comics. Mm-hmm. So here's a question. Copper Age of Comics, 1985 to when? I still say 2000 to 2003. Till, I think it's more 52? around like... No, not the new 52. What I was thinking was the ultimate Marvel age, like when they started making the ultimate universe. When was that? Uh, 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. 2000. I think of that, like when Miles Morales was introduced and they all, they all introduced the ultimate uh, X-Men, which is a different new age. And at the same time, what was going on in DC in like 2003? I would lean towards more when Marvel started putting out digital codes. That's also, when, wasn't that t- early 2000s? No, that was in. I'll have to d- double check it, but I want to say it was 2010, 2011. Ages have been separated because I think it's been the from the end of one age to the start of another has gone from like record low sales to a sudden like invigoration of sales. Maybe not silver to bronze age. I don't really like calling the bronze age the bronze age just because it, there's nothing. Like why? Why is it called the Bronze Age? I, I, there was nothing really significant about it. Whereas, well, I think that they changed it to they had to change it the Bronze Age because of the reformatting of the size of the comic. That okay. was the, the big change of, okay. of the start of it. And so they they just went obviously from silver to bronze. I feel like right, they right. started expanding the universe sizes too in the seventies. Like they put it took it out of like a nutshell and put it onto a big picture kind of mm-hmm. but to me i say the change the biggest change in the comic book industry was when things went digital mm-hmm. to me that's where i would start the new you that's maybe what, that's there you go we, we, we go call it from um platinum gold silver bronze copper digital age yeah that would work what about whenever uh, comics changed uh, pages, like uh, the, the style of page into that, like, uh, yeah. soft, like... Yeah, the uh, new kind of paper. Scene. Yeah, the new paper stuff. That was mid-90s, though. Uh, Fun fact, that was, I think Neil Adams' daughter was the one that introduced uh, DC to some company that was using that kind of paper instead of the newsprint kind, the toilet mm-hmm. paper, as they called it. I love newsprint. <laughs> I love it's the, the old smell paper. of it. It's the smell of it that, I guess, the feel too. If you like the uh, roughness, I like it rough. All right, <laughs> and that ends my <laughs> ends the uh, mailbag segment. But all right, mailbag's empty. All the, right. uh, the dogs are coming after me, so. That part of the show where I read bringing the new comic book releases for June 8th, 2016. First up from Marvel, we have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. number 6, brought to us at a cover price of $3.99. The Coulson's Protocols concludes Coulson's strategies could kill every superhero in the Marvel Universe, unless the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. have something to say about it. Guest starring as many superheroes as we can cram into 20 pages. Plus, the moment you've been waiting for, Coulson versus Ward. We also get all-new X-Men number 10 at a price of $3.99. Apocalypse War continues. The all-new X-Men are on a mission to write their own futures. And none is more determined to escape their destiny than Evan Sevener. 
who is to one day become the next host for the genocidal villain Apocalypse. But now, by way of unintentional intervention, by his teamy beast, Evan finds himself thousands of years in the past, in Egypt, and on the run alongside his predecessor, and Apocalypse himself. To change his future, will Evan literally change the course of history, or will he instead be Apocalypse's first victim? We'll also be getting Civil War II, Amazing Spider-Man, issue number one, with three cover variants. At a price of $3.99, the Amazing Spider-Man gets caught up in Civil War II. Here's a new inhuman with the ability to seemingly predict the future. And as the heroes of the Marvel Universe continue to grapple with their feelings about this very existence, one thing almost everyone can agree on is that he bears a tremendous responsibility to use his power safely. Peter Parker, a.k.a. the Amazing Spider-Man, knows a thing or two about that. Too bad he's also got the old Parker luck working against him. We'll also have Civil War II Gods of War number one with three variant covers at a price of $3.99. The world is on the brink of chaos with heroes on all sides of the war. But when only the best are called into action, where will the world's first superhero land? Join us for an all-new epic Civil War II series that takes Hercules right in the front lines. As a god, he is responsible for a larger role in the potential destruction of the Marvel Universe. Or does he have the power to alter fate? We'll also have Daredevil issue number 8 at a price of $3.99. Losing a big case has landed ADA Matt Murdock in that court for a foreseeable future. Meanwhile, less time to clean up the streets is Daredevil. Luckily, blind spots around to pick up the slack, but the young hero might be in over his head when he stumbles upon a horrific crime scene, one that will terrify even the man without fear. We'll also have Dark Tower drawing of the Three Bitter Medicine issue number 3 at a price of $3.99. And this is Stephen King's smash hit fantasy epic. As it concludes, the gunslinger's illness has reached a critical point and something drastic must be done. Despite the dire circumstances, love has begun to blossom between Eddie Dean and Odetta Holmes. But little does Eddie know, their connection will put his life at great risk. From none other than Odetta's split personality, Odetta Walker will also be getting Darth Vader, number 21, with the alternate action figure variant to go with it at a cover price of $3.99. Vader takes on Cyclo and his cybernetic operatives. The executioner moves closer to completion in time for its launch. Meanwhile, the murder bots take on their master. We'll also see Deadpool Mercs for Money issue number five with two variant covers being offered at a price of $3.99. The final fate of the future recorder is revealed. Will the forces of good prevail? More importantly, will the Mercs get their money? We'll also have Empress issue number three with three variant cover covers at a cover price of $3.99. And poor inner children are racing across the galaxy with vengeful dictator Mordox hot on their tail. We'll also be seeing Guardians of the Galaxy issue number nine at a cover price of $3.99. Gamora and Drex fight a monster of the Badoon. The two most deadly people in the galaxy together again. Drax and Gamora go on a side mission involving the Badoon that's going to put their skills to the test like never before. We'll also see Howard the Duck, issue number 8, with two variant covers being offered at $3.99. And home starts now. Howard finally goes home. But is there such a thing for him anywhere? We'll also have Marvel Universe Guardians of the Galaxy, issue number 9, at a price of $2.99. Meet Rocket's family? Rocket is abducted and whisked away to a far-off planet. But there's something familiar about it. And it turns out Rocket may not be quite as one-of-a-kind as he thought. 
We'll also see New Avengers issue number 12 with two variant covers being offered for that at a cover price of $3.99. Civil War II tie-in. Now, Civil II is raging through the Marvel Universe, but some wars are less civil than others. We'll also see Star Wars Poe Dameron issue number 3 with an alternate cover being offered for that at a price of $3.99. The First Order has caught up with Poe's X-Wing Squadron. Agent Terex has them boxed into a corner. Then, the eggs start to hatch. We'll also be seeing Thunderbolts issue number 2 with one variant cover at a cover price of $3.99. We'll see Venom Space Knight issue number 8 at a price of $3.99. And wrapping it up for Marvel, we'll have Vision issue number 8 with two variant covers being offered at a price of $3.99. Let's move on over to DC and we'll get Action Comics number 957. Yes, that's right. I said it. DC's Rebirth has relaunched the original numbers again. So we'll have Action, Action Comics issue 957 with one variant cover being offered at a price of $2.99. This is the Path to Doom. Chapter 1, Superman returns to Metropolis just in time to meet the cities of tomorrow's newest protector, Lex Luthor. But it's not long before these dueling titans meet someone unexpected. The new Clark Kent. Don't miss Action Comic returns to its original numbering with this issue. We'll also have Adventures of Supergirl number 3 with one variant cover at a Price up $2.99. Based on the new hit TV series. After seeing Doc's locked up for his crimes against Wynn, Kara thinks life in the DEO will go back to normal until the zombies attack. Now, Supergirl must fight her way across the universe and lifetimes to find the mastermind behind her current troubles. And the much anticipated Aquaman Rebirth issue number one with an alternate cover being offered at a price of $2.99. Born on both the surface and the sea, Arthur Curry walks into two worlds but can find a home in neither. The King of Atlantis looks to reconcile his split heritage as he embarks on a new mission that may finally make him choose between the two paths. We'll also have Black Canary issue number 12 at a price of $2.99. Followed by Constantine the Hellraiser issue number 13 at a price of $2.99. John Constantine has been to hell and many times. It feels like home. And he knows it's no place to leave two scared little girls trapped. He's got one shot to save Oliver's kids, but he'll have to fight Fairy, Blith, Papa Midnight, and a host of even worse things while he tries to fix his latest mistake. We'll also be getting Dark and Bloody issue number 5 at a price of $3.99. And another one I know you're all waiting for, Detective Comics issue 934 with one variant cover at a price of $2.99. Rise of the Batman, Chapter 1. An unknown predator begins outdoing Batman, taking down dangerous threats with military precision. It's up to the Dark Knight and series co-star Batwoman to rally and train the young heroes of Gotham City to end this mysterious threat. What now? Batman and Batwoman begin training. Spoiler! Red Robin and Cassandra Kane. But is the villainous Clayface ready for redemption? Well, as we've seen, Earth 2 Society, issue number 13 at a price of $2.99. And another one you're all waiting for, Flash Rebirth, issue number one, with an alternate cover for that one at a price of $2.99. Spinning directly out of the epic events of the DC Universe Rebirth number one, the fastest man alive finds himself at the center of a DC Universe at a crossroads. Warning, do not read this issue until after you read DC Universe Rebirth number one. So pick up that 80-page um, issue for $2.99 while it's still on the shelves, guys. We'll also have... Green Lantern Corpse, Edge of Oblivion, issue number 6, at a price of $2.99. Followed by Harley Quinn and her gang of Harleys, issue number 3, with a variant cover at a price of 
and Red Hood Arsenal issue number 13 at a price of $2.99. The Joker's Daughter's Master Plan is revealed. Are Jason and Roy strong enough to take down both Dula and Iron Rule? And what will it cost them? Find out in the shocking conclusion to Red Hood Arsenal. We'll have Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? issue number 70 at a price of $2.99. And Sheriff of Babylon issue number 7 at a price of $3.99. Now here's another one that I think will be really fun to read, and that's going to be Wacky Land Raceland issue number one, with four variant covers being offered for that at a cover price of $3.99. The world has ended, but the race has just began. Penelope Pit Stop, Peter Perfect, and the rest of the Wacky Wacers vie for the finish line in a contest where the winner takes all, and second place is Death. Today's trial, the Shattered Maze of Freeways known as the Bypass, where they're Beset by giant sand beasts, mutated insects, and worst of all, Dick Dastardly's murderous poor sportsmanship. The last thing they need after surviving the race is a brutal bar fight and a local dive. But that's just what they get. That one looks like it's going to be fun, especially for those of you that watched Wacky Racers back in the 70s. We also be getting Wonder Woman Rebirth number one for the price of $2.99 with one alternate cover being offered by that. After suffering an unimaginable loss, Wonder Woman must rebuild her mission as Earth's ultimate protector and champion. Following now, we're going to go to Image Comics. and We have, first up, Birthright, issue number 16, at a price of $2.99. Faster Than Light, issue number 7, for $2.99. We'll have the Fix, issue number 1, third printing variant cover, for $3.99. And the Fix, issue number 2, second printing variant cover, for $3.99. And, of course, what else do you think we're going to get, guys? The Fix, issue number 3, at, of course, $3.99. And, guys, if you haven't read The Fix, pick it up today. It's a really great read, and I'm looking forward to that issue number 3. We'll have Grizzly Sharks, number 3. This is part 3 of 3 for $3.99. We'll have Headlopper, issue number 4, with covers A and B, both at a price of $5.99. You'll be getting Injection, number 10, at a price of $2.99 with covers A and B. And I'll tell you what, guys, that's in my pull list. We'll have Invisible Republic, issue number 10, at a price of $2.99. Island, issue number 8, for $7.99. Midnight of Souls, issue 1, at $3.50. Renetta Jones and the 1%, issue number 2, for $3.99. Revival. All right, guys, it's Revival. Yes, Revival number 40 at a price of $3.99. If you haven't picked up Revival yet, do so today. You'll also be getting Shutter issue number 22 for $3.99. And another one that I'm looking forward to, Think Tank Creative Destruction issue number 3 with covers A and B at a price of $3.99. Brought to us by the one and only Matt Hawkins. And if you're not familiar with Matt Hawkins, check out our podcast with him and you too will fall in love with Think Tank. And another one I'm looking forward to is The Wicked and Divine, issue number 20, covers A and B for a price of $3.50. And to wrap it all up, one more issue that's in my pull list, Wolf, issue number 8, at a price of $3.50. Well, folks, that wraps up our releases for June 8, 2016. The back cover closes on another great show. Thanks for joining us. Did you know you can get more 4Guys? Connect with us on Twitter at the number 4 guys in a comic. Facebook keyword for guys in a comic and Instagram as four underscore guys underscore and underscore a underscore comic. Leave us a message, send us your questions, check out our t-shirts, and remember, wherever you go, there you are.